What is up, guys? Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a massive show for you guys today. A huge, huge, huge blockbuster trade went down this week. The Houston Rockets finally relinquished the rights to James Harden. He is now officially out the door after a very tumultuous end. Um, His last words in Houston were combative. And he is now a member of the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that, you got to admit, Kendall and I have to eat a little bit of crow, considering we kind of laughed at the Nets offer that we were hearing uh, through the grapevines um, this past summer. But here we are, James Harden now, officially a member of the Brooklyn Nets. We'll talk about that trade uh, in just a few moments. Also, a big coaching hire in the NFL. Uh, College football coaching legend Urban Meyer is making the jump to the NFL after being uh, quote-unquote retired. He is now back coaching. He's going to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, which, of course, leads to a ton of questions about what that means for the number one pick in the draft, which they uh, which they hold right now. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, obviously, we had the wild card weekend last weekend. It was, um, it was a weird weekend. There were some great moments, some not-so-great moments, but... It was good to have that many games on both days, all of them meaning a lot, obviously. We're heading into the divisional week, so we'll uh, preview that. And Alabama, national champions. Not to say that we're all that surprised. Kendall and I, I think, did think we'd see a little bit more of a competitive game, but um, Alabama really proven to be just a complete juggernaut. And now there are questions about, are they the greatest team of all time? I think we'll probably have uh, some, some thoughts to share on that conversation. Kendall joins me as my co-host. Kendall. What is up, dude? Uh, what are you looking forward to talking about today? Yeah, they, uh, this was a big week. I mean, coming into it, you know, if we, coming into the weekend, I figured, oh, yeah, our podcast is going to be all football. It's just going to be reaction from the national championship game. It's going to be reaction to uh, that uh, that wild card, super wild card weekend. Um, but it was a pretty uneventful football weekend, I, I mean, I must say. Uh, <laughs> The the six games we got, a couple of them were decent. I would I wouldn't say any of them were classics. Um and a lot of them were stinkers. Uh the 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 biggest storyline was that came out of Wildcard Weekend was uh Nickelodeon. <laughs> broadcast oh, Nickelodeon. Yeah, I mean you read them now because I was gonna say when we talk about it, man, the Nickelodeon broadcast I don't think we really talked about what you thought about it. I loved it. I thought there was yeah. no other way I could have endured four quarters of Mitch Trubisky other than, you know, references to Legends of the Hidden Temple and Keenan and Kel and, yeah. Nez, and Nez Declassified. I mean, that, that, that made the game fun. Sh- okay. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to Nate Burleson. Viacom, first of all, for putting it together, obviously, you know, CBS connection with the Nickelodeon. Shout out to Nate Burleson. Um, shout out to, uh, Noah Eagle. And a shout out to the young lady, I forgot her name, who was uh who was on there with them. I guess she's a Nickelodeon personality, but she was yes, she did a that. great job. Yeah, it was it was just really well done. You know, they laid it on thick a little bit, I think, with the, you know, here's how you play the game of football. Like I, you know, me growing up as a seventh, you know, a sixth, you know, fifth grader, fourth grader, like I knew the rules. Like, I don't think I don't know if they had to be so heavy handed, but that was really my only complaint. The it was funny, like green, the, the, the touchdown, the, the the slime cannons on the touchdowns, the green, it was funny. yeah, red, it was all the green, the green, uh, the, the the slime zone instead of the red zone. I mean, all the stuff was good. They the they online, yeah. I yeah, mean, I'm learning, I'm learning what guys' favorite, you know, ice cream is and favorite cookies are. Like it was, it was. Yeah, that, 
football game. Yeah, that was the kind of game that needed that. Like, nobody's taking the Bears seriously. Sorry, Chicago. I know Chicago was. Nobody else is taking that game seriously. And to be fair, you had your alternative. You could have heard Tony Romo explain why Mitch Trubisky threw that pass above the receiver's head again. But, I mean, for me, I wasn't taking that game seriously. So it's like, yo, this is entertaining. I thought they did a great job. I just had to shout out Nickelodeon. They were the. They ended up being like the story of the weekend. Yeah, I think they had the best ratings of all of. That's the nuts. Um, but shout but out yeah. to the 90, shout out to the nineties kids though. I feel like we carried them. I mean, well, I, yeah, that, that's, that's what I was gonna say. One of you, one of you guys joked that uh, you know Nickelodeon broadcasting this game as if like any kids are watching it when ninety <laughs> percent of the audience is all adults looking for nostalgia. I mean, well, I'm yeah. sure there are like eight year old kids that are really upset that like you know. Whatever is normally on Nickelodeon isn't on during this four-hour stretch. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Nickelodeon. Uh, these are in the dark ages, so I don't know if they're upset. You trying to say trying to say Nickelodeon's falling off? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to say they've fallen off. I don't think there are any kids crying that they can't watch the Loud House. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, and look, I think that that's a uh, that was a a a sign or a show that like. You know, we need alternative ways of broadcasting sports sometimes. Fact. I'm not saying we need it, you know, for every game. I don't need a Nick game, you know. I don't need a Nick broadcast for every game. I mean, would it be interesting if there was a Nick broadcast for, like, a Thursday night football game? I mean, I'd be more, I may be more inclined to watch the Nick broadcast than a regular broadcast. Um, well, I think kind of we've seen with, like, you know, I think the last time we saw, like, this thing about, like, alternative and this wasn't an alternative broadcast, but this idea that, wow, this was a different way to cover this, and this was way more fun. Unfortunately, it was, uh, you know, Nate Robinson getting knocked out, but Snoop Dogg's uh, boxing commentary... Yeah, most recently, yeah. ...was something people were like, oh, this is great. We, I wish we had yeah. more of this. And, you know, that you know the celebrity and novelty commentary can grow really old really fast, but I do feel like in certain pockets, in certain sports, it could work. And I thought that, you know, Snoop Dogg doing the celebrity boxing, I thought the Nickelodeon playoff game was were two great examples of that. And I hope that I, – I, I tweeted, I was like, yo, the NBA's got, you know, 72 hours to uh, to uh, put, a, put a game on Disney Channel or else it's a dub. <laughs> you know, they got 72 hours. You know, the NFL, they got 72 hours to respond. The NFL just did something that was really exciting. A lot of people enjoyed it. I'm waiting for the NBA to do something. Of course, the 72 hours came and went. So I feel like – NFL feel- gets this one. Baseball definitely needs an alternative method of broadcasting games. Definitely, like the NBA is already super exciting. Um, I could, I could, vent, I could like, I could see somebody saying to themselves like, "Oh, what if we got like a celebrity guest analyst for like, you know, a Tuesday NBA game? Like that would be that could be interesting or something like that." But like, but like baseball needs something. I don't know what it is, but. Um, and, like, look, their broadcasts are good for, like, actual baseball discussion, which you don't really get <laughs> unless you're watching it. The only network. thing I will say about baseball is that baseball is the hardest sport to commentate. Yes. So to throw, right. in, to throw in people who aren't baseball commentators, yeah, I think it's almost suicide. Now, could yeah. you do something like Nickelodeon? Like, you know, because those were, you know, two people who, you know, Eagle and, you know, Burleson are – professional no. yeah they're professional broadcasters could you do something like that with baseball again we've seen you know the little league world series they, they have a lot more fun with the telecast like maybe that's something like that could work uh 
but it might be hard to do that with um with with you know if you're doing like the soup dog thing where you throw in a celebrity because you know a lot of times a lot of baseball fans and especially when they do it on Sunday night baseball people get like furious when they have like an inning with you know Bud Selig or someone was like this is like stupid <laughs> right. I don't want to hear this like you know so uh so that that is that is I guess the the caveat to that is I think football in some in some ways football is almost one of the easier sports to cover because it's a play you stop a play you stop a play you stop you know it's just like yeah. so so it's a lot of time you can explain things more quickly it's not up and down baseball is just so slow that it's just like you got to really fill the airtime that's why the guys who are yeah. the best in the world you know shout out to uh Gary Keith and uh and um and Ron for the SNY crew for the Mets you shout know. out Michael K shout out Book Shambi just got the job in Chicago for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, those guys, Dan Shulman. I mean, those, yeah, guys. those are those guys are special talents. That's that's a very hard thing to do, and they don't do it very well. Right. Shout out Joe Buck. I know a lot of people don't hate him. hate on him, but like, <laughs> yeah, I know he can but do we, football and ba- baseball. Oh, like, that's the one hit. The hate on Joe Buck is something I've never quite understood. I feel like it originated with Yankee fans feeling like he was biased, and then it seems like it just spiraled out of control. Uh, I don't understand it. He seems pretty fine to me i don't know why people think he's so terrible well yeah there was also there's also a little bit of a uh you know people have a, like a nepotism kind of yeah you know, think on the thing and it's like doesn't mean he's not good we saw with noah eagle this weekend another guy who obviously his dad is a uh right. legend um sure. shout out but to he did a job you know so he did a great job um when people are that good like i understand like i understand nepotism being something that like could frustrate people like i really Trust me, I really understand that. But when people are really great, like I don't, I don't like that. Can't be my beef. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And not to say that people aren't benefited from nepotism, but how could you listen to Joe Buck or Noah Eagle or um, any of these guys and be like, you know, Kenny Albert and be like, oh, this is nepotism? I'm like, I, they're good announcers. Like, I mean, like I, don't, like, I don't know what to say. Like, like. Yeah, yeah, they may have benefited, but like, are you trying to say that they don't? They haven't earned the spot they're in based on their performance? I mean, come on, you know. There's so, and then there are examples that are obvious nonsense. You know, and I'm not yeah. you know dissing anybody, but there are things where it's like, okay, clearly this person was just thrown in here, and now like they're being groomed to be this guy without really going through any of the, of the track. That's different. But anyway, we see guys at the top of their game. We were complaining about that because I, I don't. Quite yeah, we can't give we can't give out too many industry secrets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I I enjoyed the Nickelodeon stuff. We'll talk more about the uh, NFL divisional games and some of the Walker games we had last weekend a little bit later. But let's let's talk about this massive trade, Kendall. So James Harden, he's on the move again. It's headed over to Brooklyn. This was a massive deal. Seeing kind of the, the 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 NBA Twitter bubbling as we realized it was really becoming a two team race between the Nets and the Sixers the night before James Harden. Had a pathetic performance uh, with the Rockets playing against the Lakers. He's throwing the ball out of bounds. Like he, he just looked like he didn't want to play. And then uh, after the game, he says, "I don't know all I can do here. I love this city, but you know this. I don't know. I, this can't be fixed." Which is, I find it crazy when someone can say, "I've done all I can do," and you shot five for sixteen in the game you played. Like that's that's a certain like James Harden is on another planet when it comes to just like He's averaging seventeen points a game in his last three games. Yeah. And it's funny. I saw. I didn't read. I didn't watch Shaq's comments, but I saw that he he said that you know James Harden saying that he did all he could do for the city was a lie because it's just like <laughs> he clearly didn't look like he's playing. Um, 
But uh, but nonetheless, you guys wish we knew that Brooklyn and Philly were one of his teams. It came down to those teams. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of the uh, the, the timeline thought it was going to be Philly. It seemed like that was that's where the momentum was. We heard uh, what Philly was offering. We heard what Houston was trying to pry from Philly. And then, bam, it was Brooklyn. And, um, you know, to the to the to the to the to the chagrin of people who are hate super teams, to the chagrin of Knicks fans, to the chagrin of Laker fans, perhaps uh, now a super team exists in Brooklyn. So the Nets, of course, get James Harden. The this became, ended up becoming a very complicated trade. Uh, the Rockets in return got eventually Victor Oladipo because they ended up shipping Kyrie Irving to Indiana. They also got three unprotected first-round picks from Brooklyn beginning in 2022. They also got four first-round pick swaps with Brooklyn, also all unprotected between 2021 and 2027. Um, The Rockets ended up also getting uh, Dante Exum, uh, uh, a first-round pick from Cleveland uh, in this trade as well. So that ended up being the fourth uh, pick in this this situation. So overall, they got four picks and eight four pick swaps, so eight overall and potentially – um, and what did, uh, who else is there? Indiana and Indiana got Castle Vert. Um, yeah. Dante, you know, there's some other guys in there. Cleveland Robert, got Jared Allen. Cleveland got Jared. Yes. Cleveland got Jared Allen. Um, who else did Cleveland get in that trade? They got someone else, right? Am I tripping? Uh, they did. The name is escaping me. There was uh, not, Ruf, there was too Ruf, many people in this trade. Ruf, Ruf, went to, went to Houston. Yes. Oh, Tarrant, Torian Prince. There you go. I was like, I knew it was somebody. Dorian. Yes. Well, I know who you asked. Yeah. Uh, Damari Carroll. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, that's, I'm not going there. <laughs> but, uh, but so here we are. So, so, so this is a massive trade, Kendall. Um, again, I gotta say, look, I, I didn't, I did not think the Nets had enough. Um, but I texted you. I said that, you know, when I heard that the Nets were offering every pick they had, cause that's what the rumor was while Philly was negotiating. I texted Kendall. I said, this is what a team does when they're being outflanked. Um, they have yeah. no other option. This is all they have. Um, and it looks like it worked to me. It seems like Philly probably, it, it appears, you know, Ben Simmons plus Thibel plus Maxi and Pick seemed like it was just too steep a price for for them. And because to me, it's clear that they wanted them. That if it got that close, it's clear that they were going to ship Ben Simmons out. They were going to they were gonna try to get James Harden here. Yeah, Simmons wasn't untouchable. No, not unlike whatever, you know, Maury was saying. So it was close, but it seemed like the additional pieces, especially with the way we've seen Tyrese Maxey play, I, I, you know, I think we're both still pretty high on Thibault after what we saw from him last season. It, it was, uh, they, were, they weren't going to give up all of that and those picks for Harden. The, the Nets didn't have necessarily the players per se. That's why, you know, uh, the Rockets took none of them almost. They, they didn't take any of them. They were just like, just give us all the picks. Yeah, we they took Cruz, right? Um, they were like, I don't, we don't want, we don't want any of those players. Just give us the picks. Give us all your picks for the rest of your time, and we'll uh, we'll call it a day. So yeah, they, were, hear, they were okay with that. Haven't I heard for for weeks about how great these Nets assets were? Yeah, they, yeah, they, they couldn't have been that great because they wanted none of them. And that's and to be fair, Jared Allen has played exceptional ball this year. And yeah, DeAndre okay. Jordan had a really good game um, Wednesday night against the Knicks. He had a bad start, but he ended up really playing well and kind of was kind of one of the catapults to the Nets running away from that game. You know, the question is, it, can he play at that level consistently? He hasn't shown that. He didn't really show that last year, and he's looked terrible most of the season. 
So if he's more rejuvenated, more energized, now that he's on a, a real super team, he's going to get the, the real starters minutes, even though he has been starting. Nah, Jared Gordon Allen's Eastman, not, not behind uh, his shoulders. Gordon Eastman's social media team, Jeff Green's logging those five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I thought I saw yeah. that. I was like, I was like, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I was like, like, people think Jeff Green give me the five? And me, the kinds of funny man, tweet. If like, you watch uh, Jeff, yeah, Jeff Green was surprised to see Jeff Green was surprised to see himself on that picture too. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, if you watch if you watch Jared Allen play, you might feel I mean, not Jared Allen, uh, DeAndre play for most of the season. You might feel like uh, anybody else Who, who's six nine above. All right, Green you out know, here and there. Played, who played well in that next game? Our guy uh, Reggie Perry. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah you know, he can he, play. Yeah, he yeah. can play. And I think that that was part of the impetus for them saying, we don't care about losing Jared now. I agree with that. I think that they... That Reggie Perry was a guy who... And they seen him in practice. uh, They knew that he was a guy that could give them minutes right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be spectacular, but could he absolutely be a guy in the rotation? Absolutely. And that's what we saw last night. Um, So so I agree. I think that was part of it as well. And now... uh, Marks in his comments today, you know, he said that you know this team is not finished, which it, it can't be because they don't. They have, I mean, Jordan Jordan's the only true five man on the team, so clearly more moves gonna have to be made. But to me, given what happened and what the situation is, look, I I think things changed for me in terms of how I viewed the Nets and what they should do here when Dinwiddie went down. I think before Dinwiddie went down, I, I would have been hesitant to give up that depth. For and knowing what I would have to give up my entire future for James Harden. Now that I know he's not there, and we we've seen this Nets team, you know, a little bit of flux. And Woj admitted that Kyrie's whatever Kyrie's going through is is um, was it was someone that was of an impetus to make them make this move. I, I think with all that being considered, I I, I think I I think I, I can't blame them for this. A lot of people are crushing the Nets. For giving up that much, you know how I feel, Kendall. If you have a chance to get a superstar and it has a chance to bring you closer to a championship, you should almost do it at almost any cost. That's how I feel. Um, this is a big cost, but I think the hope for them is going to be even if somehow this big three doesn't work out, given you have. The, the, the raw talent from these guys, you should be able to parlay this roster eventually into something that's somewhat of a sustain, sustainable winner. So you're not getting killed by not having these picks in these odd years. So you're not giving up the number three pick in the draft in 2024 or in 2026. It's a little bit of a... Said Billy risk. King in 2010. <laughs> right. It's, it's a risk. No. It's a risk. Now, the difference between Billy King and this is, is that, you know, because a lot of people have been bringing up Billy King... And in fairness to Mark, I mean, Billy King got guys who were clearly past their prime and much older than the guys right. that the Nets have. They aren't, now, to be clear, they're not super much older. It's not like they're that far off, but they're, they're older, you know. So, so, so this is different. These guys are in their prime. These guys are much better than those guys that the Nets got years ago. But, you know, 2026 is a long time from now. You know, 2025 is a, is a long time from now. It's four years. Who knows what the Nets will look like in four years? Uh, it, it's a risk, and I see. Part of me was like, "Man, the Rockets. I don't know if just hoping the Nets suck is like going to be the thing to give me James Harden." But I'll be honest. I think 
Old Depot coming in softens the blow. When I saw that Old Depot was was part of this deal, I said, okay, I I like this a little more for Houston than I than I did initially, because I just don't I don't believe in the idea that you don't get a legitimate star in return when you give up a star. There there may be a question about whether or not Old Depot is a star at this stage of his career, and it may be fair. I think he is still. I I I think he's looked really good. And the idea of him and Wall in the backcourt with the way Wall has looked is actually kind of intriguing. I actually want to see how this works out, especially with the way Kristen Wood has played with the Rockets. I'm not convinced the Rockets are going to just crater now that Harden's gone, given the roster that they have. Now that, you know, we see that James Harden was hated in that locker room, just the way Wall and Cousins have been talking about it. I mean, they're, they're happy he's not there. Eric Gordon says now they're finally, they finally have some direction. Like, you know, it's, it's clear they, they were done with the beard. So I, I think that this was a good move for the Rockets. I think it was a good move for the Nets for the most part. You know, I, I know the risk, but I think when you look at the firepower that they have in a game that's so much more being predicated on you being outscored the other team, I, you got those three guys, it's going to be tough to beat them in seven games. Like, it just is. I don't care how what the rest of the roster looks like. You know, in 1998 or even in 2005, I would have said, man, their defense is going to be stink. They have no one else on the roster. Like, this is going to be, this might be troublesome. But with the way offense is being played now, you get guys that are this good, it's going to be tough sailing for a lot of these other teams. Yeah. So, from from the trees perspective, I think Houston... I wouldn't. I mean, look. I don't know. We don't know everything that happened in terms of what was the final offer from every team. Uh, like you said, we can discern that Philly was probably willing to trade Ben Simmons at the very least. Uh, we don't know if, if they were willing to trade Simmons and Maxi or Simmons and Thibel or Simmons, Maxi and Thibel. We don't know what combination they weren't willing to go to. I would venture to guess that they weren't willing to do Simmons and Maxi. That they probably would have done Simmons and Thibel if necessary, and that Houston yeah. probably wanted all three. And then yeah. the Sixers were just like, ah, we're not, we're not, we're not interested. Um, I think Houston would have done Simmons and Maxie. Do you think that that was the right decision to turn that down? Assuming that you had to give up at least one or two more picks as well. If you're Philly, if you're Philly, uh, I think it, I think it is. Yeah, there's no reason. There was no reason. You don't even have to do it. You know, no. it's like the I, yeah, I'm not doing that. Similar thing. position to Boston. You know, Boston. I mean, could they have traded Jalen Brown for? Uh, James Harden, maybe, you know, um, well, yeah, they probably could have, um, if the word was that they also wanted market smart at that point, you tell them no. Um, and Danny Ainge came out and said, he thought the, 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 the compensation that they wanted was too high. Um, <laughs> the asking price was too high. So look, I, I, from Philly, from Houston's perspective, to me, I would rather have Ben Simmons straight up than the package they ended up getting back. Um, so you'd rather have just Ben Simmons than the, the four picks and the, the pick swap? Probably. Yeah, probably. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's a risk, those picks, especially if you're, if you're Raphael Stone. Because if you're Tillman Fertitta... I mean, you're like, all right, I bought this thing. I'll be here for a while. I can wait five, six years. Um, you know, people will ask, you know, oh, we don't know what that pick's going to be. 
obviously years from now. I mean, the Knicks and the Nuggets made that Carmelo Anthony trade in 2011, and they included in that trade a pick swap in 2016, which was five years into the future. Uh, that ended up being Jamal Murray. Yeah. For the Nuggets. Thanks for so, reminding me, homie. <laughs> So, and the Knicks didn't even have a pick that year because uh, they ended up trading it to uh, the Raptors for Andre Bargiani. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, again, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that had nothing to do with Jesus, the man. context. That yeah, he just, just had to pour more salt in that wound, man. Yeah, but, um, so yeah, I mean, look, the, I mean, the Nuggets had the, had the foresight to say to themselves, I mean, a pick swap in five years. I mean, this Knicks team, I mean, who knows what the Knicks are going to be in five years? Mellow. You know, who knows, who knows if Mellow's even going to be there in five years? <laughs> and what they and they knew, they had the foresight that the Knicks were going to stink in five years, and they did. And they ended up getting a top ten pick, uh, which ended up being the seventh pick in the draft. So, so yeah, I mean, th- that pick could end up being great. Um, and it's a similar compensation to what OKC got from uh from the clippers but i feel like what okc got they i feel like they got a better young prospect in Shea Gilles alexander than getting an old victor old depot now to be fair they traded karis avert they got karis avert you could argue probably yeah, a that, older that's gonna be that's gonna be the question is should they have kept lavert who's younger i can't say less injury prone i can't say that they're both injury prone, but yeah, no, nah, yeah. But he's younger. He's st- signed more long term. He's not quote unquote hobbled. He's not coming off a major injury, right? He's not coming off a major injury. Like, like that was the that's the question. And I've seen people go back and forth on it. Maybe I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of drunk off of the name of Victor Oladipo. I I, I hope I'm not because um, I think Levert is good, but I think I really feel like the Rockets. May surprise people with that wall on Oladipo backcourt. I think he wanted to get. I think he wanted to get out there, get out of Indiana so bad. I think you'll see his game lift a little bit more than people think. Than by the time when he when he's finally gone. They, it, I mean, I mean, let's be real. Are, is this a Rockets front office that is saying to themselves, "Let's take another swing like we did with Wall and Boogie, and it's worked out great." Right. Because those guys, I mean, Boogie's not, he's not twenty fifth, he's not twenty fifteen Boogie, but he's playing the best basketball we've seen since he tore his Achilles. Sure. And John Wall's played excellent basketball for a guy, you know, considering a guy who we thought was the worst contract in the NBA. Are they, or is this them maybe feeling themselves a little bit and maybe overextending a little bit? And may, they may end up being right. For you know, they have more reason to be confident than others. But do you think that played a factor? Uh, yeah, I think it did. I think that they feel like. Um... You know, they, I don't want to say they're the place for reclamation projects, but I think they may feel like, you know, hey, like we've had guys come in here, guys that, you know, unheralded, so to speak, like Christian Wood playing at an all-star level. We took on John Wall. People thought we were crazy. John Wall looks pretty decent right now. We uh, brought back Boogie Cousins playing limited minutes, but he looks like he might he might end up uh, being a real contributor. And, you know, as we continue to kind of progress with him, we'll see how things go. I, I think that that's how they're looking at this. And they feel like you know why not give a give give us a shot with um with what's the name with uh and I understand with with uh Old Depot. I think the Simmons and Wall thing could have worked better than people were giving credit for, but um I do. I too. Mean, 
you would have had to play in transition a lot, but uh, there's nothing wrong with that in today's NBA. Um, but uh, to me, on the Rockets side of things, so look, I mean, look, I, I mean, well, not on the Rockets, the Nets side. The Rockets did a good job. Um, they had to get rid of Harden. I would have got, I would have brought in Simmons. Um, but to me, like Raphael Stone, like if this thing doesn't work, he's not going to be the GM that's making those picks. So it's it's unfortunate, but that's that's the uh, that's the situation he put himself into. If you get Simmons now, I think like you still might not be great, but you have draft picks. Like, yeah, and yeah, you're you're building you're building towards something with a with a clear cornerstone. Yeah, franchise player. Yeah, so it, it, I was already an all star, and yeah, it's like they don't they don't have one right now. No, yeah, maybe the, except maybe would maybe maybe would, but he's the only guy but, even well, closer. I mean, and that's yeah. and that's like and that's like like pie in the sky. Like we right. really think that he's really think he's going to average twenty and ten the rest of the season. Right? Is there a scenario where Christian Wood in two three years is a better player than Ben Simmons? It's possible, but it's it's unlikely, and he's not a better player than him now. So that's the that's the concern. And obviously, Simmons has a much better upside. Simmons is also the possibility Simmons doesn't get any better because he can't shoot. And if he never gets a jump shot, how much better can he really get? But, um, but on the net side, yeah, I mean, to me, you have to do this trade. I understand the trepidation, um, but like you said, if if you're in, if you have a, the the possibility of getting one of the top ten best players in the NBA, and you don't have to give up your two best players, then what are we talking about? Because that's what they that's what they did. They got a top ten player in the NBA without trading one of their two best players. Not even the Lakers were able to do that. Getting Anthony Davis. And yeah, that's that's. I mean, but you know, and then to be fair, there was a lot. There was a lot of trade, you know, pick conversation in that too. But it wasn't like the Nets pick conversation. I think that. I think I think that the Rockets are really hedging on. This idea that the Nets are going to crater, and, and part of me wonders: Do you think that do you think that they're part of this? Also, is that they know James? And they feel like there's no way you're going to make this work, and that they will crater. <laughs> like, is that any way possible with this? I mean, we've seen that kind of situation. I mean, we saw it with, I and mean, we didn't see it wasn't like it wasn't to this degree. And, and you could argue like they they did the exact same thing with Westbrook. They were like, yeah, you guys have Westbrook for John. Well, they John Wall back. And it was like, wow, the Rockets went John Wall. But they knew something was up with Westbrook. And Westbrook has struggled mightily <laughs> in Washington. Um, but, I mean, you could argue that same kind of logic, you know, not only did it apply to the Westbrook situation, but it kind of applied to Cleveland trading Kyrie to Boston for what seemed like kind of pennies on the dollar. And... right. You know, I think they knew, like, yeah, this Boston thing, like, I mean, Kyrie, whatever you guys think Kyrie's worth, like, he's just not. So, we'll take back a Brooklyn pick and Jay Crowder, and hopefully Isaiah Thomas is healthy. And and in that situation, I think the Celtics tried to swindle Cleveland by trading Isaiah Thomas, thinking, like, they, they were getting a plus, you know, an all-star point guard, and they weren't. So, uh, yeah, these teams always try to one-up these teams when they're trading these guys, and I think Houston maybe is hoping that Harden this Harden thing doesn't work out in, in, in Brooklyn. Um, I think Kyrie is really the, the wild card, obviously, um, for Brooklyn's long-term success. Um, in the short term, I wouldn't be concerned. 
I mean, they're the favorites in the Eastern Conference at this point. Um, you think it's already a done deal that you come in, you're the favorites now immediately. Yeah, you're the favorites. Doesn't mean they're gonna come out. You know, injuries can happen. Sure. You know, I mean, I don't know what what other factors, but I mean, if you watch that Christmas Day, the Celtics have played great basketball this season. They're not what are they? Uh, seven and three. Um, and if you watch that Christmas Day game against the Brooklyn Nets. They couldn't compete, um, and that was the Brooklyn Nets. That was arguably their best game of the season, but that was with just Durant and Kyrie. Um, now you can argue like guys like Levert and Jared Allen played well in that game, and they're they're, they're not there anymore. But if, if I told you James Harden was going to be out there with Kyrie and Durant, I would have been like, yeah, we have no chance. Um, Kemba Walker will be back for the Celtics, which should help. But um, like the Celtics play very basketball, and they they won't be able to compete. Brooklyn, I mean not Brooklyn, uh, Philly. I just don't know if they're gonna have the offensive scoring punch to be able to compete with these guys. Um, and B just played the best basketball of his career. Um, and I mean, I can imagine a series where DeAndre Jordan's having to guard him for seven games, and Kevin Durant's trying to guard Embiid. Like, I mean, he could dominate, but uh, I just, I just have concerns about how can you guard this Brooklyn Nets team offensively. Um, James Harden, when he gets cooking, he's played he's played awful basketball season. The worst of his career since he left OKC. Um but well, how much of that is how much of that is just like he he's just he's mailing it in. Yeah, I mean it, I mean one hundred percent. That's probably most of it. Which yeah. is why you know, I I mean I wouldn't be concerned. You know, yeah. it's all he's doing is mailing it in, which is we know that for a fact. Like he is right. That, that is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That that is what's happening. Whether or not there's more to it, we, we don't know. Whether or not he's out of shape, we also kind of know that for a fact. He's probably out of shape. So like, there's so many things that seem fixable. Um. So because of that, if Harden can turn it around, um, and look, I mean, obviously we talk about you know, I mean, he had COVID. Is, is this a Cam Newton situation where he just like you forgot how to play? Like I don't know. I mean, maybe. You know that's the worst case scenario if you're if you're the Nets, but um, assuming like he's healthy, um, he's he he should be fine. And if he is, then again, offensively, this this Nets team in that system, I understand people worry about being able to share the basketball. I, there aren't many other guys who can be taking shots. You know, I feel like over the course of the game, these guys will all get the requisite touches to be happy. Um, and I don't think these guys are at the stage of their careers, particularly Kyrie and Durant, where I don't think they care about how many points they score. If they're winning, if they're winning games and they're like, I mean, uh, you say that, but Durant doesn't strike me. I mean, he played in Golden State where, well, I'm not talking about Durant. I'm talking about the other two guys. And Kyrie... Also doesn't he? He, I mean, the guy. I think the the thing with Kyrie is that like, you know, I mean, he's not even going to. He's not even showing up to games. So I don't know how much there. Yeah, me. How many? That's very good. That's very concerning. (laughs) Well, no, no, that's a concern on his on his other on 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 another side of it. But in terms of his offensive output, I don't know if he cares if he's averaging. But for the guy, for but for the for the for the guy, for the guy who calls himself the artist, don't you feel like your art is being like stifled? Yeah, stifled by playing next to other 
elite players. Like I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I really don't think that Harden and I think it's gonna take a little while for Harden and, and Kyrie to get used to if they ever do. KD, I think will be fine because KD, as we've seen, he's just gonna be whoever he is wherever he goes because he's so incredible. Yeah, yeah, he he's so he incredible. Died. Again, like I said last week or whatever I said, godlike offensive ability. Like he's you know like. I'm watching that game against the Knicks. You would never thought that guy tore his Achilles. I mean, he looks like KD, 26 years old, 27 years old. Same explosiveness, same handle, same slickness, same smooth jump shot, same range. He could. He's just incredible. He's truly, Look, you know, he's truly one of the best offensive players I've ever Gil seen. Well, Gil Arenas said in the offseason that John Wall and <laughs> Kevin Durant would be fine coming off their Achilles. You, he, now he's watching, sitting around watching like they call me a madman. I know, yeah. We should we should listen. We should listen. We should listen to No Chill Gill. Yeah, no Chill Gill, man. I've been saying. I mean, I've been saying he's a smart basketball line, man. Yeah, we should be listening to No Chill Gill because KD looks just like a monster. So he, he's never going to be affected because he's always going to be the best player wherever he goes. So it's more about these other two guys. Is how are they going to adjust? Because they have to to coexist in a backcourt together, and. Look, they're very talented, so they're going to win a lot of games. But I think there will be a learning curve. And and their maturity and their uh, just like just just their approach to it is going to, I think, determine the team's so, success, which is very think, tenuous considering these are not necessarily the characters I feel most confident about in being mature. In a regular and season, we're figuring this out. This can go one of two ways in the regular season. It could be a cakewalk. Where like they don't like they just they're running through teams, like you know, and there is no friction because like offensively they're too they're too potent. One night it's Harden, one night it's Durant, one night it's Kyrie type type of thing. Um, and if that happens, then like I think in the postseason that's where that chemistry and that friction will get challenged because now you're going against better teams that can yeah game. yeah it's it's only going to get challenged really in the postseason. In the seven, seven game series right. now. There, it could go in the other direction in the regular season where it's like, you know, they sputter a little bit because they're 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 like the Clippers last year where it's like, oh, this thing, you know, these guys aren't taking it seriously, this and that and the other thing. I just feel like they're too there's too much offensive talent on a night to night basis. I don't know if teams are going to be uh, prepared, but in but in the postseason, like, and if you're going up, I mean, this is a Western Conference team, for example, but if you were in a series against Portland, like. Dame, like, like Harden and Kyrie have to be able to guard Dame and McCollum. You know, like, if you're in the East, like, you have to be able to guard Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. You know, like, and, well, I don't know if those teams can consistently score with Brooklyn for seven games. I feel like the only way to beat this team is to play excellent defense. And I don't know who that team is. I don't know if there is a team out there. I mean the Lakers. Where the, Lakers team... are, the Lakers have shown that they can they can zip people up, right? Um, I think Philly has the potential to be that kind of defensive team. Yes. Um, and I mean look, Milwaukee I mean, has been a good defensive team, but I don't know if they would be. They could. They Boston's have been good. I don't know. I don't know if they have. I don't know if Boston or or Milwaukee have that ceiling. That I think that I, the problem they can play with Boston, defense that well for four games. The problem with Boston is one, Kemba Walker in a seven game series is a defensive liability. Yes. 
two, they don't have any elite rim protection. Rim protection. You know, like so, so that's that's why I think that in a seven game series, un- I think it'd be the opposite. Unlike we think that maybe the Nets would fall apart, or we're discussing whether the Nets would fall apart through chemistry and friction issues. I think the Celtics glaring holes defensively that they're able to cover up during the regular season would be exposed against a team like the Nets. Yeah, the Celtics, like, Ainge has to be on the phone now trying to get a real five-man. Um, do you call about Andre Drummond? You got to call about Andre Drummond. He's one of the guys you have to throw out, you have to throw in there because, um, like, when you're playing against... Like, they have the perimeter defenders. Smart, an elite perimeter defender. Brown, high-level perimeter defender. Tatum, high-level perimeter defender. But, it, I mean, it's just, you know. I mean, when offense, saw, yeah, great offense beats great defense 100% of the time. Well, not 100% yeah. of the time, but most times. So Yeah, we saw in that game on Christmas Day when Durant and Kyrie get cooking, this Boston team, especially when Kemba wasn't there, had no answer. Because defensively, those guys can't be stopped when they get cooking. Like that's the that's the that's the issue. And that's why I feel like you have to make the trade because you have three guys like exactly. that. Who I agree with that. Can't be stopped. Yeah, one on one. Like you have to throw doubles at them, and then if you're throwing doubles, then that means guys are getting open shots. You are yourself, Joe Harris. Yeah, I'm gonna say they got other guys that can play still. <laughs> so you know, I know I know uh, Shaman is not shot well, but he's a good player. We know Joe like, Harris is a, a sniper. Timothy yeah, Cabros played good. So I, I mean, I don't know. Um, if I'm the Lakers, I'm concerned. Yes, I would be. Um, I'm concerned. I don't know if they have the offensive firepower. You know, this isn't going to be like last year. And I look, I hate to, you know, I hate to bring up the whole thing about, you know, I know all these, all these, all these jokes from you LeBron haters, all the Mickey Mouse ring and, you know, <laughs> Mickey Mouse LeBron or whatever. <laughs> but like, I, I hate to be the guy that's like, yeah, I mean. That ring last year was great, but this is going to be closer to what he felt when he played Golden State. Um, if he runs into this team in the finals, um, and that's the problem. Now, Golden State was much more of a well-oiled machine than this team. This team is an AAU team, so that's why this team. Right. Can be, that's why this team can be beat in the Eastern Conference playoffs because while Nash. And D'Antoni, um, you feel like they'll be able to put together an offensive system. That will these guys run it? <laughs> yeah, will these guys run it? I, you know, yeah. I just, I, what offensive system can you run that gets the most out of James Harden, Durant, and Kyrie at the same time? I, I'll I, tell you right now, they're not going to be running anything Steve Nash throws up for them. Let's just be clear, that's not going to happen, especially in like real game situations. You yeah, know, no, yeah, you that know, second quarter. Tie yeah. game, you know right. they may run a set or whatever, but when it's fourth quarter, the Eastern Conference game. I mean, seven, I think that I think that play was getting thrown out at halftime of every yeah. game. It's just they're gonna they, those guys are gonna be who they are, and that's why this is such a fascinating experiment because I felt like you know I was one of the people that actually didn't think that LeBron and Wade were this terrible combination, which is why I was so furious because I was like they're gonna win a lot of championships. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, they can't fit. They're both slashes. I'm like, uh, one guy's on one wing, one guy's on the other. Those guys are so dynamic. You're still going to have a lot of problems. Uh, I, 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 and the Warriors thing was just we knew what that was going to be about. Because they're, they're, they're so good at moving the ball. They're so good at moving themselves that 
people will, those guys are going to get their shots within their offense and within the flow. They, nothing would really get um, uh, interrupted by KD's appearance. In fact, KD will actually just help them when things get break down because he could just get a shot on his own against anybody at any time, no matter what. So maybe he's almost like a fail safe. He's a, you know, break, uh, break glass in place of emergency type of player for your offensive sets. This is totally different than any other kind of super team because this is at least two guys who are clear isolation type basketball players. They don't move themselves. They don't move. They don't move out the ball. They don't move the ball particularly all that much. Now, you know, Kyrie, I think when he was playing, I think he did a great job moving the ball earlier this season when he was out there and playing within the flow of the system. But it's easier to do that when, you know, you're throwing into other guys who are playing in the system. And then one of the guys throwing to is Kevin Durant. What's going to happen if you're going to throw that ball to James Harden? Is Harden going to be as in, invested in throwing the ball back to someone else to get the ball moving? Um, you know, are you as going to be a confident you're going to get the ball back in the offense when Harden gets the ball? Like these are little things about just when you're playing hoops and how things dynamics change when certain guys are on the floor. That until to me, if they end up working out great and the offense is 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 just cooking and everything is smooth within like a system it's going to be because Kyrie and Harden made a great sacrifice and we they should be commended for being the teammates that they are for changing their games because that's just not who they are like Curry was like the perfect kind of point guard for someone like Harden I mean excuse me Durant he's gonna move he's he's a willing passer he moves about the ball he's okay playing off the ball the power forward can play point guard and he can pass the ball and he's okay moving off the ball and he's a great screener Curry and Thompson and Draymond, all great screeners, like that team. That's why it was so ridiculous because it was like, it, like they were almost a perfect blend. This isn't perfect, but it's explosive. And like to me, that's why this is gonna be interesting because it's gonna be like they're gonna have their hiccups, I think. But it's like, is their talent just gonna be too good for any of that stuff to matter? And it might, it might be, it might be even against the Lakers. It, that talent might just be too overwhelming because at the end of the day, every possession you gotta have a competitive chance against three offensive juggernauts who all can go for 50 at any given game. And very few teams have had that kind of firepower. Maybe, maybe I don't know if any team has had this kind of firepower in terms of the top three guys. So yeah, offensively, this, this, this is going to be fun. Offensively, this is the best trio in NBA history. Um, you don't, I mean, they don't have any post-scoring, but I think... D'Antoni would like it that way. You know, I mean, I don't think that they're... Uh, and, I, don't I, mean, they're and I mean, Durant could get in the post and do work. He's not like a guy who's going to like... He's not going to bury you with his strength, but like, he, yeah, he could... Yeah, he can, get it. he can get you an easy bucket. Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, again, Durant is tr- truly one of the best offensive players I've ever seen. When people make the cut, say they're saying that James Harden's the best scorer, I'm like, I, I don't know how you could say that and watch Kevin Durant play. Like, Harden is a great, great scorer, but... If you're asking about talking about anybody in the conversation of offensive scorers in the conversation with Jordan, I think Durant's the only guy Harden, in, Harden, in contemporary times I have that conversation with because he he's like Jordan that you could put him in any offense in any position in any point of the game or any point on the floor and he's a serious threat. And he's even more of a threat from Jordan from behind the three point line. From a versatility standpoint, yes, Durant is well ahead of Harden. 
from a just volume standpoint, if you like, if you put him, if if you put Harden in a certain system, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the numbers we've seen the numbers. I know, but I just feel like if Durant tried to score like Harden, he'd average forty. If he was in an offense where where it's like this this is your team and you guys score every basket every single time down the floor, he'd average thirty eight, thirty seven. Yeah, he probably could. I mean, he wouldn't be able to rack up the assists. No, no, yeah, I agree with that. You know, and that well, goes I'm, I'm to talking like, about just scoring, but scoring yeah. Um, you know, sometimes people say, you know, Harden's the best offensive player ever or that just type of, you know, like. Right. That's where, in a certain system, just the sheer numbers and volume, like Harden is, is ridiculous. But it's crazy. They got both of you guys. Who is like, right. like, what's the point of you dating? They've got both no, of them. They got both of them, which, which is why you do the trade, which is why you do yes. the trade. And the, the chips may end up coming up craps. Like, and, you know, and I don't know if that's even like a, a right gambling <laughs> euphemism, but like you may come up craps <laughs> here. Like it may, you may like these guys may end up not standing each other. Kyrie may never show up again, or he may leave again, and this may not work. But you have to take and the let's chance. Be honest. You have to make this chance. You have to make this move because of the unevenness that you've seen from Kyrie this week. Absolutely, which is what we. I about mean, it's insurance because let's let's. Let's say, for example, that Kyrie doesn't play another game this season mm-hmm. for whatever reason. They are still a, a contender with James Harden and Kevin Durant. For 100%. It, I don't even go a step further, Kendall, because this is what I thought as soon as this trade went down. And I saw what the pieces were going and who was staying. I'm considering trying to move Kyrie to get a better piece that fits with Harden and Durant. That's what I've seen from him this week. If I'm Marks. Well, Kyrie, I saw people talking about should you trade Kyrie, this and that. His value is terrible right now. His value, you're never going to get back anything worth but the player is there Kyrie. Ch- but is there a chance you'll get someone that's a much better fit or pieces that are not much one better team. fit? There's not one team. Like, when Kyrie was in Cleveland, there were teams, you know, like Boston and other teams that would have brought him in for equal value. When Kyrie was in Boston... There were teams like Brooklyn and the Knicks that were willing to take him in. There were fits around the league. He had to come home. There weren't many others out there, but there were teams. At this point, I don't know if there is any team in the league that would be willing to take Kyrie Irving for what his value is, anywhere near what his value should be as a player. So, and, I, and, I, and I thought about that, too. I hear you. You know, I mean, what are you trading from to Indiana for Miles Turner? I mean, like, I don't, I, like there is, right. there's no move. Where you're getting anybody that's near an all-star talent. You know, you have to find another player in the league that's equally disgruntled or equally as poor a fit. I mean, like Westbrook. Like, like that's kind of what you're trading for. Well, look, I saw a lot of people saying it, and I I saw a lot of people saying it. I I posted on Twitter. I was like, like, yo, man, I know it don't make no sense, but I I hope the Nets just trade Kyrie for Westbrook so we can reunite the shield. (laughs) Reunite the shield, man. You know, yeah. Harden, Westbrook, and, and 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 Durant, the way they were in OKC, they were like the WWE Shield. You know, those three guys came into the league, tore it up. They were a great tandem, and then they were done. Reunite them, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, would Love or Blake Griffin make more sense than Kyrie on this team? No, because you're still terrible defensively. Yeah, and that's the. <laughs> I mean, those are like the kind of guys you can get. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I know. I. I Look, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that you're right that getting someone was hard, would be hard. But I would try like hell. I would try. I would try. I would and try. I would try. Because it only takes one dumb team. 
man. But the I I it's funny. I heard someone say not too long ago. Um, it was like it was like a one of these basketball analytics guys was like these these NBA teams have all gotten much smarter, which is why you don't see dumb trades anymore. Um, I agree with that too. We still do, but not as many. But they've all gotten much smarter. Like even you know, the, remember the the Paul George Oladipo trade? We thought the Pacers were stupid, and they weren't. You know, the Gordon Hayward contract this year, we thought the Hornets were stupid, and they weren't. Um, to a degree, we'll still see. We'll see what the Hayward contract looks like. But as a player, he's certainly well worth the max. You know, I I just can't imagine nowadays that there would be a team that would be willing to put up any chips to taking Kyrie Irving at this point. I mean, if he was a free agent, yeah, somebody would take yeah. a chance on him. He's a talent, but for the contract that he's got, he's gonna have to, he's he's getting paid, and for what you'd have to give up to where the Nets would be willing to give up on him. I mean, it's I mean, it's a fool's errand. I, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I I get it. I'm not saying that it would work, but I would be like, would you if you were the Knicks, would you trade to, for Kyrie Irving? <laughs> uh, I probably would. I probably would. As crazy as Kyrie is, I mean. Because there's an idea of like you need your point guard situation is the mess. You have that's a weird scenario because like the Knicks don't have a point guard. They have a first round pick who's a power forward. So like I, the Nets would never want someone like want someone like Julius Randle for Kyrie. But like if that was we were playing two K and that was a trade, I do it knowing that again. I know Kyrie is 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 on one right now, but having that kind of point guard, that electricity in the organization. You know, to be fair, it's only a couple more years left in this deal anyway. So if it don't work, he's out in two years. I, I would take that chance. I would. But I know there are a lot of Knicks fans who would not, given how Randall's played and Kyrie's unevenness just as a player, as a person, you know. So that's um so that all that is um makes sense. But man, this is gonna be this is gonna be a conversation. Yeah. It's not to say that we don't know. Like we don't know what is up with Kyrie. And no, we don't. No problem with that. I'm not even passing judgment on him. It just is what it is. Evenness. Yeah. The issue is that Kyrie's unevenness has come with a level of detachment from your organization. Exactly. And you know, I mean, that's the problem. If Kyrie didn't want to play because of what happened at the Capitol, he has every right to not play because of what happened at the Capitol. But he's got to tell the Nets, I don't feel like playing based off what happened. I need a mental health week, a mental health two weeks. I Take as much time as you need, Kyrie. We're, we don't really need you right now as a team. You know, we can still yeah. be competitive. But if something happened with his family, and if, whether it's a birthday or something worse, then just tell us. You don't even have to give us the details. Just tell us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's saying personal reasons, but, like, I mean, I don't know what that means. And we don't even know if that's what he's telling them or if they're just saying that as a cover. Right, yeah. But the word has been, there's been very little to no communication. And that's that's the part of it where, yes, the Nets, like, if you can get out of this Kyrie thing, you might have to because of, like, you can't you can't deal with this stuff. As a, as a franchise, your second best player, not third best player, is doing this kind of, is, is acting this way. 
Well, well, that's why, you know, look, I told you off this off the air. Like, to me, you know, Kyrie, Kyrie has, he, he, because he's won a championship, I think he has this sense of, I don't want to say entitlement, that sounds like negative. I don't mean it to be negative, but he, he, he had this idea that because he's a champion, he knows what it takes to be a champion, that it gives him kind of a latitude to be more, like to not have to really explain himself for things that typically would be detrimental to uh, a functioning organization. And I think that a lot of that permeates through like his attitude towards the media, his attitude towards, um, I mean, there were reports last year about him not wanting to do any of like the stuff that that's wanting to do in terms of like tracking uh, their progress and training and all the different mechanisms they were doing to, to, to train guys throughout the year. He didn't want to do any of that stuff. He had his own preparation stuff. And again, he's a champion. He's a superstar. I mean, in a sense, you kind of understand it, but I think he's more willing to like be like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing because I, you guys got me here because I am this great player and I'm not going to just like bow down and do whatever you guys want. Like I'm going to do me as well. He's not like most other guys that played in this league before, so like I'm not gonna pretend to like completely understand it, but it's it's to me it's clearly who he is. He also to me uh, he has somebody that will not be in the NBA for very long. Like I I, I think if you told me, I think there's like a fifty fifty chance this is his last NBA contract, and that he'll go and play in China or or maybe like commit himself to like justice perform for a year. Like I could see him doing something like that. And again, none of this I'm saying it none of the stuff like we're saying about Kyrie is again is criticism. It's just observation. To me, he right. he 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 gives me Ricky Williams vibes. He gives me vibes of someone who is starting to understand that this this game and this sport while we make it out to be the biggest thing in the world in the end is kind of trivial. And his understanding of that I think he he's not unable to like play along anymore, and when you get to that point, usually that means you're kind of done. So yeah, a Kyrie retirement, I, I think very well could be around the corner, with the way he's acting. I know some people. I know you know. I I didn't see what Stephen A. said. I know he was like saying Stephen. A., you know, he was demanding that Kyrie should retire. I I don't again. I don't look at this as negative. Like he, he could do whatever he wants. I'm just saying like. I'm not, I mean, he should. If he, that's what he wants to do, he should retire. If he doesn't want to try, then he should play. I think he should tell his team where he is. I don't think that he should, um, you know, go out and, and and take pictures. And the thing about him like breaking all these rules and stuff with the COVID stuff and and going to parties, it's not to me even so much about him. It's just like, do you understand how this affects your team? And you may feel fine with it, but. Those other guys can't be fine with it. And even if they say they're fine, you are making their lives a little more difficult. Why would you purposely do that when you could just not? But I don't, again, I think that, again, I'm going to say it one more time. I think he's someone that has looked at where he, where the game of basketball is in terms of importance in the world, and he sees it much differently than maybe he did four or five years ago. So, hence, he's acting as such. So, talking to the media, not something that's important to him. Showing up, you know, taking time, you know, playing games where his mental health isn't right and him deciding that he needs time off to hell with whatever the NBA schedule is, not that important. Like, that thing is, that doesn't matter as much. And those other guys, you know, it's weird. It's almost like you're living in the Matrix. I think he almost feels like he's in the Matrix. It's like he's beyond it now. He understands the game. 
in the system. <laughs> it's crazy, but I, re- I really think that's how he looks at it. Because that's how he acts. He acts yeah. like that, you know? So, uh, and, and, you know, because every time it's always about, like, why do you guys make this big, this big deal about all this stuff? Like, it, the way he responds to criticism is always the idea that this is all for fun. I'm an artist. Like, he, he's on another level. I'm not saying it's higher or lower. He's just on another level than where we are in terms of how we view things. But, you know, I, I think sometimes it's a detriment. And throwing James Harden and his personality into this mix is going to be interesting. I, I I hope Harden has his head on straight and he's willing to really kind of buy in. Because I, I, it, it's going to be a tall task with Steve Nash to get all these guys on the same page. Um, before we get to the other big coaching hire with Urban Meyer, I do quickly kind of want to mention some breaking news we got on the show. Not necessarily yeah. to us, but just breaking that happened while we were recording. You didn't have um, sources? Yeah, I got the York? scoop. I got the scoop. I got the scoop in the in the in uh in what is, what is the Jets facility? Um Floor Florham Park. Uh Florham no. Park, man. Cortland training camp. <laughs> no, Cortland, that's that's a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's back in the day. Um No, <laughs> so we learned that uh Robert Salah a Salah. How do you how do you pronounce his last name? Salah or Salah? Robert Salah. Salah, yeah. He is now the new head coach of the New York Jets. He's agreed to a five-year deal with the team. He spent the last three years as defensive coordinator for the um, San Francisco 49ers. He's also spent time with the Seattle Seahawks when they won the Super Bowl. He spent time with the Jacksonville Jaguars as a linebacker coach. He's been around the league for a little bit. He's coaching college a little bit. He won an NBA. He's won a championship, obviously. Um you should be pumped. You think I should be pumped? You should be pumped, man. Robert Sala. I mean, I bet you he's pumped because that guy. You want to talk about? He's old. Yeah, he's. I have one thing I guarantee he is definitely pumped. He's if I'm not pumped, up. he's pumped. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I I love this hire, man. I, I absolutely love this hire, Robert Sala. I thought, you know, I would have looked at him last season, but I actually like him getting an extra year of seasoning, um, and defensively the jets are going to be serious um there are some questions people have about all right offensively now you're in a situation where you don't have a head coach um to sort of mentor your quarterback whoever you draft or if it's sam darnold to bring in mike lafleur uh brother of matt lafleur who's uh san francisco's passing game coordinator um and, and, the and he's like he's like, like he's like that's like Salah's homie too like they were they were that he was his best man at his wedding oh wow yeah i didn't even realize yeah. um and the word is that they're gonna run that same offense that they, the shanahan offense um now i mean as we know we followed the game for a long time you know just because you worked under a guy doesn't mean you got the same play calling instinct <laughs> as a guy not every coach not your office of coaches are as good as the next, even if they worked in the same system. But regardless, um, you know, if I mean Michael Floor, uh, that's somebody that I, I would imagine the Jets should be excited about as well. So I mean, I, I think that this is a really good situation for the Jets. They needed a coach with energy. Not to say that. Um, I mean, look, Adam Gase just was the opposite of energy. <laughs> um, yeah, with, from the head coach, uh, Todd Bowles really wasn't the the most. Uh, he wasn't really a rah rah guy, you know. They just haven't had this kind of guy really since Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan was more of a, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, he was a he was a lovable uh, 
you know, he's lovable. Uh, I, 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 I won't say what, what I'm thinking. He's a, char- he's a character. Yeah, I'll say he's a character. You know, he's but he wasn't likable. Let's just say that. Um, this he's like, he's likable out. amongst his team, though. Even if he's well, likable yeah. amongst the country. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys. Players love him. Team, you love him. If he's not, you hate him. Right. You know? Um, but that's why he's lovable. For, like, general NFL fans, you know, they look at him, ah, this guy's funny. Uh, <laughs> but, like, well, if you're competing against him, you hate the guy because he's super arrogant. Robert Sala, nobody hates Robert Sala. Unless you don't, unless you just don't like the, you know, the excitement and the the energy that he exudes, but yeah, no, this is an excellent hire. You get a defensive guy. Um, the Jets should be competent, and I mean, I think it's a good job. Obviously, that he's walking into so this is very, very good hire by the New York Jets here. Yeah, it's a it's a solid hire. Uh, I'll say it's solid. I'm not gonna say it's, it's great, only because I, I I preferred an offensive guy. Um, I don't know if Bianami was interested, but Bianami was my number one choice. Uh, I, I, I like the work he's done under Andy Reid. I trust the Andy Reid coaching tree pretty well, considering the guy that's come out of it. So he was one of my top guys, but Salah is a solid pick. I mean, the Jets defense, as we know, has been a complete nightmare. And the way what we saw Rob do, to me, you could make the case that this year's job was even better than last year's job, given all the injuries they had. The Niners yes. still competed every game, and we were in a lot of these games, and it was because of the defense and the fire he brings on the on the on the uh, on the sidelines. I think is is palpable, and I think I, I like coaches that have been around the block a little bit because I don't because to me they're not going to be married to a particular style of play or a particular way of coaching. Sometimes I think the issue with like I honestly I think the issue with the Belichick guys often is that like because you're hired to be a Belichick guy, you think that just bringing the Patriot way to your franchise is going to be the you know, you winning is going to be the difference in you winning games or how you're going to be able to win games. When maybe that team does won't re- react well to the Patriot way, particularly when it's being orchestrated or, or passed down by someone that's not Bill Belichick. That has been the running theory this week around the Doug Peterson situation is that um, there was word that obviously Jeffrey Lurie wasn't super excited about some of the names that Peterson wanted on his coaching staff this season or next season. Um, and the theory was that Peterson didn't have many, like he just wanted to like promote guys and he didn't have many names because he's only been in the Andy Reid coaching three his right. entire career. So he didn't really know any other types of coaches to even, you know, bring in. Is either that or he's bringing in people he doesn't know. And, you know, obviously that always gets contentious, obviously, uh, in 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 locker rooms. But um, Robert Sala, that won't be a problem. You know, he's bringing in a uh, he's going to be he's going to be he's going to be open to bring in, you know, tons of different types of coaches. Diver- it's going to be a diverse, versatile coaching staff, which is also a, uh, a win for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, he's coached under uh, Gus Bradley. He's coached under Pete Carroll. He's coached under uh, Shanahan. Um, he coached, you know, he's coached under so many guys that, like, none of these guys are, there's, like, there's not, like, an obvious, like, link between any of these guys. So I, I like that because I think it suggests that he could really kind of create his own identity with whatever team he goes to and kind of picking and, and picking at all the different guys he's learned from. 
you know, some places were great, like, again, like the Niners and, like, the Seattle Seahawks where you won Super Bowl. Some places, like Jacksonville, was a disaster under Gus Bradley, but you still learn from those experiences. So, uh, I like it. I, I like it. I, I liked it. You know, to me, it kind of does feel like, you know, it's a different kind of guy, but it does kind of feel like the Jets are kind of, like, hiring a similar temperament to the Giants head coach, um, which seems to be going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Judge, and it seems to be going kind of well over there, but um, but I'm cool with it. I just hope uh, Lafleur coming over makes me feel a little better. I, I think that you know, obviously Shanahan and Lafleur's they know offensive football, they know passing, and I would definitely take Lafleur over Gase in terms of trying to figure out who how to you know tutor whether it be Darnold or whoever the next quarterback is. I would definitely take him over that. That was my biggest thing. Is if the defensive guy is going to be there. I need to know who's calling the plays. You tell me it's Mike LaFleur, I feel pretty good about that. I could live with that for sure. But the other big hire we had today, Kendall, um, comes out of Jacksonville. So the number team, the number two pick, the Jets hire Salah. Team the number one pick, Jacksonville, they go with Urban Meyer, former Ohio State head coach, former University of Florida head coach. He also coached at Utah. He also coached at uh, Bowling Green. He's won everywhere he's gone, albeit some of the places he left, it didn't end all that great with sometimes some turmoil, some health issues. He was on a, a second retirement after um, things didn't quite work out at, towards the end at Ohio State. But he's returning to the to the game of football, and he's coaching the NFL for the first time, and he's starting in Jacksonville. Kendall, are, are you surprised that Urban is taking the plunge to uh, begin his NFL journey with Jacksonville? Um... Am I surprised? Uh, no, I'm not surprised. I mean, depends on when you. It depends on when you would have asked me. Obviously, we've had these rumors now running for about uh, about two weeks. Um, but even if you would have asked me about a month, month and a half ago, I probably would have said, uh, if you told me that there's a chance of Meyer coaching the NFL, I would have been, yeah, yeah, why not? Um, you know, last year there was talk about Washington. Um, because of the Dwayne Haskins connection, uh, which is, uh, in hindsight, funny to think about. But uh, there was talks about Washington. It was, uh, he was at a game. Um, he was at a Washington game with Dan Snyder. Uh, also Terry McLaurin, Alex Smith, also Urban Meyer guys. But um, so it seemed like, you know, he, he his itch was coming in. He was coming back. You know, he, he's re- really good on TV. Um, you know, yes, if you ever watched the Fox pregame show, um, he's one of the he's he was one of the better analysts in, in all of college football the last couple of years. But, um, but we, but he's in a situation now where um, obviously he turned down the Texas gig. And if you asked me what's a better job, coaching Texas or coaching the Jacksonville Jaguars with the number one pick in the draft with Trevor Lawrence, more than likely. I would rather have the Jacksonville Jaguars job. Um, obviously, like, you know, they, I brought up, I believe I brought up in the show, this, the, you know, the possibility, what if Urban Meyer would want Justin Fields? Obviously, there's the Ohio State connection. Well, I'll be honest. I don't think Shad Khan would have hired Urban Meyer if he didn't think, if he didn't know for a fact that Meyer was going to take Trevor Lawrence. One hundred percent, I agree with. They that. gotta put they gotta put people in the seats, and exactly. they gotta be on the same page on that regard. And 
So I don't think that they're I don't think that their interest in Urban Meyer would be would have been as high if Meyer was like, yeah, actually, actually like that Justin Fields kid. Uh, Coach Day tells me he's really good. I can't imagine that was that was the case. And look, if I'm a Jaguars fan, I, that's reassuring. Now maybe it's just Meyer just you know playing politics and knowing like, you know, I yeah, I mean I, this is my call or. Meyer also may know. Um, you know, he would know Justin Fields as well as anybody, as well as any other coach that's not Ryan Day, um, you know, it, or any media member. Maybe he knows. I'd rather have Trevor Lawrence. Um, so that would be that would be assuring. Um, and there was also a obviously there's a list going around before the season. He had Trevor Lawrence ranked as his number one quarterback coming into college football this season. So, which I mean, hot take. But, but, um, but so all of the signs point to Lawrence will be in Jacksonville with, uh, Urban Meyer. And that's, I mean, look, it's, it's last year they were coming in their their coach quarterback combination with Doug Marone and Gardner Minshew. So, um, I don't know how we can, you know, we can, we can laugh or pour cold water on Jaguar fans all you want, but that's exciting. It's just much more exciting than Minshew and Marone hearing Meyer and Lawrence. Um, so, I mean, yeah, this is great if you're a Jaguars fan. Um, you know, I I, I hesitate. To, I, I'll ask you, what, what what do you think, since we see where this is going, what do you think the success will be uh, with Meyer and Jaguars? I'll tell you what, man. Are you, would you turn your... Your AFC teams. So look, I, let me let's preface this. Remember, I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan who hates the Florida Gators and was sick to my stomach watching them win during the Tebow era. Um, I'm also the son of a Penn State grad who hates Ohio State. So let's put that in perspective. I think Urban Meyer has a chance to be a really good NFL coach. And here's why. I also think it can go terrible. So maybe, you know, not necessarily jumping on the bridge. But I'll give you the positive why I think he can be great. What I've seen from Urban Meyer that I think is is borderline elite, and I think he may even have a step up on Saban on this, is he really knows how to identify great assistant coaches. And when I say I really identify great assistant coaches, not guys I just bring in and because I have the best players, we're going to win. I mean, he seems to be able to identify guys we've never heard of or guys that no one has ever heard of. And these guys end up becoming great assistant coaches and eventually end up becoming really good head coaches. I've seen him do it with multiple guys at multiple different stops now. And I'll tell you what, I, I think that because to me, I think more so than maybe if you're like not the herb is not calling plays or anything like that. If like, if you're not that kind of guy, he was at one point. That's not how he, he hasn't been that guy in 10 years, probably. If that's not your thing, where you're calling the plays and you're scheming up the game plan, like, you know, as the top guy, really, the NFL, I think, is more is even more predicated on you've got to have a great assistant coach, great assistant coaches on your staff. Otherwise, you're toast. I think Urban could put a great staff together. I think he could put a great staff together. Is, he's already doing it. Yeah, the word is he is. Yeah, the word is he, that's he happening. Has been for a while. Like, yeah. the, 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 <laughs> got names. Yes, the word is the word is the, that that he is that is exactly what he's been up to the last few weeks. And I'd argue that that this deal was probably done a week ago, and he just wanted to make sure he had the right the guys he wanted 
in line. So that once he knew that they were on board, then he would sign the contract. That's what I think happened there. That's what I think happened here. Um, I, he, he really does a great job of identifying assistance. And I think that because of that and him as a CEO kind of guy, when it comes to off the field stuff, he's going to be a mess. You know, he, he is it's Tiger to catch any stripes. So if there's some serious scandal going on with the program or now with the organization, I don't trust he's going to handle it with the most, uh, what's the word? Integrity. Honor. Honor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm being honest. I'm not, uh, it's not, you know, I don't mean this to be disrespectful to her, but that's just what he's shown. You know, it's what he, it's who I've seen from him. You know, if he changes, then I'll be glad to say, hey, man, Urban really handled this really well. But in Florida, at Ohio State, I've never seen that from him. So now it's the NFL. So in a, in a sense, he probably has way more rope than he had in college. And so much more of that really won't be necessarily on his plate per se. It will be more on the plate of the owner and whoever they hire as the president and the general manager. But that aspect may be an issue. But in terms of just being the CEO of the team, and getting the guys right and, and getting them, got, got, keeping them, uh, you know, being a believable figure, I think he could be great. The, the problems come, I guess the problems come to me, honestly, with just like, duh. I know it's crazy to say this because guys win championships, but just like the pressure cooker of being an NFL head coach. Like he, he was having difficulty being a college head coach. Where you won every game. Yeah, when he was winning every game, he, he like he physically, he physically couldn't take it. Like he's like, gonna lose most of the games. He's gonna lose ten games next year. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> so, yes, can he deal with that? And how does he deal with that? And if he, if and if slash when that happens, does the the CEO shine that Urban normally has as the head of a program change? And does he look different when that happens? I've never seen it happen to him, so I don't know. But every time he's come close, he's either quit or been fired. So, he I mean, that that's the question. That's a major question. That's why I say this can go terrible. Because if that happens and he ends up just not being able to any way to navigate that physically and emotionally and as a leader, then this is a this is going to be a disaster. But if he is, then then I think he has a chance to be a really great NFL coach. I think he's one of the few Cause coaches I look at and say, he has all the things that you would need to do to be a great NFL head coach. Yeah, Urban Meyer, again, when you watch his commentary on Fox, like, I mean, the guy is a football genius. Um, not just a football genius from an XML standpoint, but just being a, a leader um, of a football team. Uh, he has an uncanny feel for that. But... I, I, you know, I, I do wonder, I, not to say that coaching isn't important in the NFL, because it is, but um, how much of, uh, yeah, like, he has he's had such a talent disparity um, at Ohio State. And that's not to say that Meyer wasn't an elite college football coach, because he was. Um, he went to an Ohio State team that won, that went 6-6 six and six under Luke Fickle. Well, we know Luke Fickle is a good coach at Cincinnati, very good coach. Um, he may, he's probably gotten better over the years after being under Meyer, but... Um, but you know, he was, he was sick. They were six and six under Luke Fickle. And then he goes there and they're like a championship contender in, in year one. So he can, he can win with talent. Um, but 
when was the last time Urban Myers had inferior talent? I mean, when he was at Utah. Oh, yeah, Julian, and yeah then, Utah or Bowling Green. Yeah, and Bowling Green. And even then, you know, Utah, you're in the Mountain West at the time. He, he had the best conference. He had the best talent in the conference. There you go. I mean, yeah. you were you were running the you were running the conference. So that's the that that's the that's going to be the adjustment for Urban Meyer. And look, not 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 to say the SEC wasn't a gauntlet. You know, he had and when it, when Saban came in, that's when the block got hot, and you know, he uh, he went to Ohio State eventually. But um, that's going to be the question mark. Uh, what's going to happen? The AFC South, Tennessee runs that division right now. Indianapolis is coming. Indianapolis, they don't have the draft capital that Jacksonville has, but they have a ton of cap space, and they're already a playoff team. The only thing they need is a, is a long-term quarterback. Um, and, I mean, Houston really is the only team that you're kind of like, all right, whatever. You know, they have no cap space. The quarterback doesn't want to be there. Yeah, they might not have a quarterback in a couple of weeks. Right. So, um, what do you think the Lawrence Meyer situation? What do you think that that relationship will be like? What do you think that that dynamic will be like? I think it'll be great. I think I think that I honestly think that that like that's also why to me like if I was Con, why I would would be attracted by the idea of hiring Meyer because I think like we we've seen like like you know there isn't a more like quintessential college football coach than like Dabo and like how he acts and how he runs his team and everything like that. And right. we saw that Lawrence responded well to him. He believed yes, in him. Yes, Lawrence loves that's his, that was his guy. And know, as, really, he went to Clemson. Um and like you said, he I mean and Dabo very much made him his guy. And it, Lawrence was receptive to that. And so, Trevor's a good kid, but I don't get but I get the impression that like he's still kind of a kid. Like I don't, you know, some guys at, at a certain age, even though they're twenty one, like yeah, yeah, this guy's very mature. Like Deshaun Watson, you know, for example. Like he's not Deshaun Watson. Like I would even like, say Justin Fields. Um, I would say Justin Fields as well, for sure. He's Trevor Lawrence is like Zion Williamson was coming out of Duke. You're one hundred percent right about that. It's very similar temperaments, and I think, I think. Who Urban Meyer is, is and like we saw with Zion that tenement. That whole, not to cut you off, but we yeah. saw with Zion that 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 one eighty to the NBA lifestyle was a little bit of a show shot, and he yeah. didn't even play from day one. Right, and I think he's still kind of taking time to adjust. You know, and I think he's been more comfortable his second season, but he's talked about how he dealt with levels of anxiety and, you know, it was tough for him that day. And obviously he was getting sued like for a hundred million dollars. So right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll, that'll definitely raise the blood pressure a little bit, <laughs> but you know, and Lawrence luckily won't have to deal with that, but just even, you know, that, that he, you know, that level, that business, you know, nature of the game was not something I think he was ready for, um, which is why he thought about going back to Duke. Luckily Lawrence had three years that comes in, but it's still going to be a shell shock. But that's why I and I said it from day one. I loved Lawrence in Jacksonville more than I liked him in New York. I thought in New York, now you're really taking him in from like you know you're little clumsy in South Carolina. He's from the South into like you know just the business of the NFL in New York City, and that would have been a show shot. Him in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer, yeah. Yeah. No. I. I. I yeah. Jacksonville. Great city for him. Herb, Herb and the relationship he's built with the quarterbacks he had in college. I, I think that 
Trevor he's also Lewis. a little bit like Tebow Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that I think that's gonna end up being a great bond. Personally, like I think this is going to work out. It's, it's a risk. I get it. it's a risk, but I think this is going to work out. Um, and when I say work out, I mean that like Trevor will develop well and they'll eventually become somewhat of a winner. Like a playoff team. Right. The question I mind the question is again, it never ends well with Herb in the last two spots. You know, does he does he retire? Does he get burned out again? Does he get sick? Like these are just these are just things that could possibly happen with him. And I can't answer any of those questions. Like I don't know. Start calling Herb Meyer uh, Fred Sanford. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh I'm gonna leave that one alone. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Herb. Congrats to Herb. Congrats to Salah on the coaching, uh on the hire on the job job. No one's gonna get that joke anyway. No one that's under like forty is gonna get that joke probably. Yeah, I don't know what our podcast dynamic is, but I, I would think that we probably skew a little younger for the most part. Um so yeah, but I'm gonna leave that. <laughs> uh NFL divisional round games this weekend though. Uh wildcard weekend happened. We didn't really have too many major upsets. I think the games went really pretty much as I, we thought they would. Um, we thought that the Titans Ravens was going to be a nail biter. Um, I told you that the Washington over under was twenty three, and if they kept them under twenty three, they could win. If they didn't, they would lose. They did not, and they lost. Shout out to Heineke though; he did play really well in that game. Um, mild, Bears, mild, only mild. <laughs> um, the Bears got stomped. We we expected that to happen. Uh, who else got stomped on the weekend? Uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh got stomped. That was that was the shocker to me this weekend. Yes. Yo, yo, There's man. No ben going out. Ben Roethlisberger going out sad, Kendall. Ben Roethlisberger. Was that, going was that the last game we've seen him? It should be. I think the fans hope it is. It, it should be. I mean, he's done. He's done, and. Wow, I just did not like. Part of me is like, I sh- you should have, we should have expected that, but could you really have expected that? Like, it's clear the tides were changing in the rivalry. We've seen the signs, but as Juju said, they're the Browns and they're the Steelers, and they don't, they know all their guys got COVID. So in your head, you're like, all right, but this week, Steelers are gonna find a way to get it done. Browns don't have too much overcome, and I mean, they, they just. Completely imploded. Just completely imploded. It was all due to the quarterback, pretty much. It wasn't all due to him, but it was most of it due to him. And part of me was like, yo, is this going to be a replay of what happened the last time the Browns in the playoffs and they blew a big lead? But then it, it wasn't, and, and they held on. What was the biggest, what was your, what was your, I guess, your biggest takeaway from that weekend before we go to the divisional games? Uh, the biggest takeaway from that weekend um i feel like it was mostly chalk to me i think the biggest takeaway was what i mentioned um was going to be the, the the thing i was watching for the most probably all weekend uh outside of uh you know looking for spongebob in the end zone was uh <laughs> in, in the goalpost was uh what would the Ravens do, and how would they respond if they got down mm. ten or more points in that game against Tennessee? And right off the bat, ten zero. You're like, oh, early <laughs> uh, pick, early pick for Lamar. Yeah, it looked like same old Ravens. Looked like same old Ravens, 
But, you know, that was going to be the question. Could they come back from behind? And, you know, after that deficit, they pretty much played a perfect game after that. And, um, you know, quite the performance and quite the uh, resolve from 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 Baltimore. Um, also, shout out to Phillip Rivers, man. I got the gamer. He's a baller. Um, they did not win that game, obviously, in Indianapolis. But he put them in a position to win that game. And, you know. What would you have done on that last on that last possession when they could have kicked the field goal? It would have been like a sixty five yarder, or they went for that hail mary. River didn't even uh, didn't even reach the end zone. Right. I, I would have thought about kicking that field goal, but I, I, they, they I mean they know that they know their kicker. It, it, to me, if there was any chance he could make it, they would have tried it. To me, that means they didn't. They knew he had no chance to make it, so they had to. Right. Now again, they maybe they should know Phil Rivers couldn't throw the ball. Yeah, but yeah, no, you're. <laughs> right, yeah, that's part of that's part of the issue too. But um, but I think they knew that. Of it, so. They had no timeouts, so they would have had to run onto the field, and it's like yeah, yeah, it's, put, it's, yeah. I didn't, I think that that was the only way they really could have played that. Um, yeah, shout out to Phil Rivers, man. I know he's gotten a lot of crap all season and got a lot of crap again for that loss, but he played pretty well, and they were on the road against a good team, and he competed. So shout out to him. I agree with that. I don't know if this is the end of his run, but if it is, great career. If it's not, I'd love to see him play again next season. I agree, though. The story of the weekend was, to me, definitely the uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Because I texted you and Shamari um, after the game, and that was the most guts and guile and poise I'd seen from Lamar Jackson his entire career. And I thought we saw the tea leaves of that performance on Monday night against the Browns that this to me was part two of that. But this was actually like harder because this was like, this was more nip and tuck, more playoffs kind of game. This is the kind of game that you need to win. If you're going to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, your team goes down, you're playing as a tough defense. Um, they have a crowd. So it's not like it's a, you know, a silent arena stadium. Like, you know, there's a little bit of ang- a little bit of uh, adversity that you've now faced. And you have to make big plays. You have to keep your team in it. To be fair, I don't want to just give it all to Lamar. The Ravens' defense held their guile and bit down as well. Like, because they also just have just imploded in these situations too. Where instead of maybe, okay, giving your quarterback a chance to figure it out, just letting it go, letting go of the rope immediately. They didn't do that either. So they also deserve a lot of credit. I don't want to just give it all to Lamar. But that was just... That was playoff football. I was, I felt good. I felt proud of him, man. Really, I was because we've heard all this stuff about like Lamar can't get it in the playoffs. He's one trick pony. Um, you know, he's a regular season type of player, and just the way they have talked about him. Granted, he's very young, so some part of it's like, was it a little over the top, maybe? But but the way they've talked about him, you there's no way he should have been able to win that kind of game, given what happened, and the fact that he kind of just hung in there made the big plays when he needed to, and th- pulled that out. A tough road game against a really good team that they hate. There's pure hatred on both of those sides. It's great to see that rivalry reunited because those guys used to have beef back when Ray Lewis and Eddie George were out there playing. So this, yeah. this is not a this is not an old this is a, this is not new per se. This is, they've had beef for a while these two franchises. So I'm glad that it's reunited. So um, but yeah, to me that was a story because. The Ravens, 
I know the Browns had a great game, and we'll you know they'll have Stefanski back, and we'll see what they do in Kansas City. But I, we said it before the playoffs. To me, the Ravens are the team. You're looking at anybody that's, that has a real chance to beat Kansas City. I needed to see them do that. Like I like even if they would have just ran Tennessee out the arena, that would have been great, and they would have looked great. But seeing that they could actually face some adversity and punch back and stand their ground was that's what I had to see. And now I'm not again. I'm not saying I'm going to pick them to beat the Chiefs if that happens. But now I feel like okay. They can take a punch and they can hang in there. That's what you're going to have to do against the Chiefs tenfold. But just showing that kind of heart was necessary. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, what are we looking at this weekend? What, what, like, what's uh, in terms of these matchups? Well, the matchup, the matchup that, that's most intriguing has got to be that, to me, it's got to be that Tampa Bay-New uh, or- New Orleans game. For sure. um, the History Channel's... Uh, Gonna be covering it according to Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> why not, man? We got Nick <laughs> History Channel in there. Um, yeah, no. Nah. It, it, it's uh, you know, you're watching two legends, man. Breeze and Brady, first playoff matchup. Um, and you know, it feels like one of those games. It feels like a real elimination game because. Like, you know, when... I mean, that is the playoffs, to be fair. <laughs> I know, and it sounds crazy. Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, yeah, it's the playoffs. Like, you know, um, like Chicago lost and Mr. Risky will go home <laughs> and maybe back next week, next year. The difference is that, like, yes, but whoever loses this game might not be, like, we're talking Breeze and Brady, might not be back next year. Um, right. And these teams, these franchises now are in a... It's like, like, like in WWE, your career's on the line match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> lose or retire match. Yeah, lose or retire match, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's what it feels like. And I I mean, I think we all assume that Breeze is much more likely to retire than Brady, um, despite Brady being much older. Um, it seems like Breeze is, is is more likely to retire given the injury and the NBC contract. Uh, so I mean, there's a lot more on the line for New Orleans, and that, I think that may actually help them in this game. Um, you know, I didn't love what I saw from Tampa last week. They didn't play awful, but I would have liked to have seen them kind of put their foot on the gas a little bit in that second half, and I don't think they did. They kind of let Washington hang around. Um, so that was a little concerning, whereas I felt New Orleans did do a good job putting their foot on the gas against Chicago. Uh I mean, you could argue easier, <laughs> easier task, um, you know, the way that Bears team played. But uh, to me, I mean, I think it's going to be an excellent matchup. There's nothing I, I feel like I don't see anything with Green Bay and, and the Rams, to be honest. The other the other intriguing one um, to me is going to be that uh, that Baltimore Buffalo game. I mean, because you got two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's going to be a smash mouth football game. And I think you got two franchises that legitimately feel like it it's their time. It's their own the cusp. Yeah. Yeah. They feel like they know they know what lies ahead next week, but they also have this genuine belief that it's our time. And that's that those kind of games usually end up being really fun because it's, like, like, it, it's going to be crushing for the loser. You sound like Chase Claypool, EJ. 
<laughs> you trying to say what the Browns have no chance? I'm just saying. Browns uh, gonna get clapped, according to Chief Claypool. <laughs> oh my gosh, man! These guys, man. The Steelers. I I, just, I hope I'd never want to hear anything. The Steelers say anything. I can't believe they're talking more after they lost. Like I can't. I don't understand this team. Yeah, him and Juju, man. I mean, uh, yeah, and it's tough because I feel like Claypool take like, all the walks, man. He's been he's been too indoctrinated into the Juju way of way of. <laughs> Look, I, told, I text you, man. They're the, they're, the, they're the NFL version of the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, and that's sad because I, I can't believe I'm saying that about the Steelers. You know, the team that got one for the thumb, that kind of franchise, <laughs> that historic kind of franchise. But right now, that's how they act. They act like this. They act like the Clippers act. Yeah, and the fans. I mean, they are they are livid. I would be too. These guys are clowns. They were like trade all these guys, man. I would be too. <laughs> these guys have been I, acting like clowns I, for months. One Steelers fan was like, "Man, I want these guys back." And it was a picture of AB and Le'Veon. I'm like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what?" <laughs> that had to be a troll. It, it had to. Be. But I don't know. As bad as we can been, they made me. Yo, man. Yo, Mike Tomlin, man. We well respected. I thought that coach. was one of those games. We talk about like in sports. is one of those games where. A coach you just go lose you, your job. Yeah, you lose your job. <laughs> That's probably one of those games, man. Where like he's, I mean, he's not on the hot seat. I think the only reason have... here's why I don't think that that was the case for him. I think it's because it became so obvious that like Ben was just so shot that like I mean, firing him would have done nothing. Like like the quarterback is shot. Like this okay. is not like it's yes, not they're not ready ball. to play. Yes, there's a lot of issues. Yes, they weren't well prepared. But like. They had no chance even if everything went well. You realize after watching Ben. So, because that's how done he is. So that's why I don't think, like, but yeah, typically, yes, that was the kind of game where, like, you could lose this game this like this, and you might, you might not have a job on Monday. Um, no, I was going to say, man, Mike Tomlin's well-respected, but, like, he's, I, I, that locker room just was just ridiculous as soon as they went 11-0. Yeah. After, after, that, after that point, it was just chaos. And all the jokes of the people saying, Oh, worst eleven and zero team ever. I mean, I mean, they were they, they were they were, lying. And yeah, the they, fact they, that they, they still didn't take that more personally is shocking to me. I mean, because they didn't play a good team that took any of that that talk personally. No, no. What a terrible, what a terrible way to end their season. Um, but no, I'm not saying that <laughs> the sorry, the big, the Browns are certainly going to get clapped. I'm just saying that given that the Chiefs are the Super Bowl champs and that maybe the team they have to face. For Baltimore or Buffalo, I think that they realize, yeah, like there's a, maybe a dragon at the end of this, but like our season has been so special, we've gone through so much that we may be able to slay this dragon and get to get to get to Miami or wherever we'll be playing. I don't know, Indy, I guess. Uh, last year was Miami, so I think it's Indy this year. Um, so oh, yeah, Tampa. so that Tampa, okay, Tampa. right? Yeah, yeah Brady. Sure. Yeah, Brady can play a home game in Super Bowl, right? So I think that's what their uh, I think that's what their focus is. So yeah, I agree. I think that's the game. The Rams, the Rams. I know you did. You didn't have much to say about the Rams Packers. That's just a weird, it's a weird game. I mean, I can't believe that the Seahawks blew that last game. Um, that was the kind of game to get well, rid of the coordinator fired. Shotty's Shotty's done. They got rid of him. Yeah, exactly. Jamal Adams was hurt. You want so, to talk about another? Jamal Adams is the Paul George of the NBA, of the NFL. <laughs> 100%. If there's anything that is certain, that's certain. Never seen a guy talk so much. Don't <laughs> line up Devin Booker across from, uh, <laughs> across from Jamal Adams. 
<laughs> on a one on one. Because uh, we'll call him some names. Yeah, Juwan, Juwan, Adams, <laughs> Juwan Adams did not have a, a good week, but he was injured. So that's why, uh, that's why apparently he didn't play well. Russell Wilson didn't play well. What? what, this, what I mean, it, the defense is, is real. Brandon the Rams Staley defense, is, yeah, the Rams defense is, is nuts. Yeah, Brandon Staley is the one of the best coordinators in the league. And shout out to Jalen Ramsey because he gets a lot of crap too. But this is the best year of his career. It really is. I mean, he, he's just know, locking he, down everybody. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's a he, he's a tremendous player in the prime of his career. Devontae <laughs> Adams has been one of the best players in the league all season as well. I know, so, so that's going to be a matchup. It's going to be a real matchup, man. Yeah, we got to see. We, we gotta see what the health is of uh of Donald and, and obviously Goff. That's what's that's what's tough, the Donald injury, right. because obviously they don't have David Bakhtiari anymore. Mm-hmm. Didn't hurt them uh in that last game of the season, but um but when you get into the postseason you're facing a, a team with a front seven like the Rams, you know. Yeah. Um, you get a little more concerned. But if there's no Aaron Donald or if he's not if he's only fifty percent of what he is then you might be able to to slide, you know, because you're only going to give it so much with Leonard Floyd and, you know, Michael Brockers and these guys in terms of a pass rush. Let's, uh, let's, let's pick these games, Kendall. So let's go do. So we got um, – so let's start there. Uh, Rams going to Lambeau. We got? Rams. Rams going to Lambeau. Packers. I'm going Packers. 34. Rams twenty. Rams twenty. Slide points for the slide points for the uh, Packers. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Packers win. I don't think it will be that many points, but I don't think I don't think that the Rams are gonna move the ball. So I'm gonna say Packers like like something like twenty four to twelve. And it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a weird weird score. Um, it's one of those games where it looks like the Rams are in it, but they're really kind of not because they can't move the ball. Uh, Saturday night Buffalo. Uh, Baltimore, Buffalo. I'm going to go. This is a such a tough pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Lamar pulls it out again. I'm gonna say this as a soup another super nip and tuck kind of game. And I'm gonna say the Ravens win 26-23. 26-23. I'm gonna say Buffalo wins this game. I'm gonna say they win it fairly comfortably. Um, they seem really locked in. Allen, Diggs. I love the maturity they showed last week. Yeah, they yeah, played against a, they played play. against like yeah, they played against a game Colts team and held on. Yeah. Um, I'll say they win twenty-seven seventeen against Baltimore. Kansas City, Cleveland, Sunday afternoon in Arrowhead. <laughs> the Browns running game, I mean, I, you know, they, they they they're running the ball really well with Hunt and of course you still got Nick Chubb. And that is going to be key to keeping Mahomes and the guys off the field. I I just think I just think that eventually it's going to get to a point where Blake Baker is going to have to outshine Mahomes, at least for a certain part of the game. I, I don't, I just don't think that he's going to be able to do that. And that's where the Chiefs will pull away. So I'll say the Chiefs win 
Let's go 31-17. Yeah, I think this will be another one where, like, I don't know if the Chiefs will... will... They're not going to embarrass this, this Browns team. This Browns team, all the credit in the world to Kevin Stefanski, even though he wasn't there last week, all the credit in the world to Andrew Berry, the GM, um, who I uh, worked with in, in Philadelphia. Uh, he's done an excellent job. Um, and... You know, credit worth credit's due to, to Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, I've not been the biggest fan of Baker Mayfield throughout his career, but um he's done a good job of quarterbacking his team. You know, he's he's a game manager and I you know, that's not what I would have projected he'd be able to do, but he's transitioned into that role perfectly and he's he's done it he's done it at a really high level. Um and he deserves credit for that. Uh, in terms of who's going to win this game, it's not going to be Cleveland, uh, but it will not be a blowout. Uh, I've got Kansas City 24, Cleveland 20. Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Tampa, New Orleans. Uh, this is another tough one. Um. I'm gonna say Tampa Bay pulls it off. I'm gonna say. I think you're gonna say uh, Father Time was gonna win this one. Uh, well, Father Time is gonna win one way or another. <laughs> Father Time. <laughs> Remember, this is a this is a win. This is a loser retires match. Remember that. <laughs> uh, the Saints seem to sometimes just have these games in the playoffs where they just come out kind of flat. I'll be honest. I think they came out kind of flat last week. They just played against a team that in no way could have capitalized on that. Yes. But, like, the Saints couldn't run away from them um, the way you, they should have. And I don't I, like, I don't take that, like, challenge that the Bucks had last week as, like, bad. I think that they played against a team that was playing, that played the best it possibly could. And they still really kind of never had a chance to win. I, I, and A.B. is starting to really get loose, and that's a scary thought for opposing teams. You know, Mike Evans said that he did have a hyperextension. You know. God has been uh, limited. Yeah, but this just feels like a Brady game. This, and I know that's not great analysis. Sorry, listener, but like, <laughs> you know, this is a team that that hammered them two times. They played them. Nobody, you know, the Bucks have not seen to be a team that could handle this team. This is the kind of game that Brady had to see this team twice, and he had, certainly having these issues, but he's gonna be ready for them this time. And I think again. Antonio Brown playing the way he's playing is going to be, I think, the difference. I think Tampa wins this going away. I'm going to say this is like a uh, like a 34-20 kind of game, maybe even more. I, I think that this is going. I think that Tampa is going to light it up, and I, I don't think that New Orleans will be able to keep up with the uh, with with with, uh, with the firepower because I think Tampa's defense is starting to figure it out again as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I have concerns about whether or not Breeze could win in a high, in a, in a shootout, whether or not the Saints team could win in a shootout. Um, he hasn't played great, um, since he's been back from the injury. Uh, if Tampa's offense... It feels similar to that Washington game where it's like, man, they can get to like 27 
like they'll probably win this game. Um, unless Alvin Kamara just just runs wild, which he didn't do last week. Um, and you feel like Tampa Bay is gonna win, but Saints defense is pretty good. You know that can't be <laughs> can't be underestimated as well. I feel like this will be a low scoring game. I think the I think the Bucks will win. I'm not confident in it, but I think the Bucks will win. Uh, I think they'll win close. I think they'll win low scoring. I'm gonna say the Bucks win. Uh, 23-16. Let's, let's see how it all shakes out, man. Divisional round football. This is when things start to get real. You know, any pretenders that have been, that, 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 that were still around, they're gone at this point. These are the teams that are supposed to be the teams that could potentially win a championship. So, I love the divisional round of the NFL playoffs because this really separates the, the, the men from the boys, so to speak, when it comes to playoff football and the pretenders by this week will definitely be exposed this is what that normally happens on divisional week so uh so we'll see who's real who's not but uh let's uh let's uh quickly talk about this national championship so uh, alabama rolled no pun intended through uh ohio state i saw i tweeted that was thought it was funny that bomayan jones said that ohio state did all that protesting outside of people's offices this summer just to get clapped by by Alabama in the national championship game. It's like a messed up way to think about how like a great season that ended, you know, one game short of a championship. But I mean that yeah, is what I mean, But that is what that is what happened though. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not that's fair, that is what I mean, happened. The Super Bowl win is still still a good moment. Yeah, yeah. it is. But yeah, but they, they did still get clapped by by Alabama. Um <laughs> Right. And that is how the season it did end for this team. A lot of people are asking, is this the greatest team of all time in terms of Alabama? I don't think that's the case. I do think that Devontae Smith... Tyler Lockett a Hall of Famer? Sorry, what was that? <laughs> is Tyler Lockett a Hall of Famer? <laughs> what? You're just throwing people... I, I'm not even going to touch that one. I'm, I don't have... Yeah, don't even, nah, don't even touch Kendall, that. Kendall, just... got, Kendall was mad spicy today. I don't know why. <laughs> He's just one. Of, he's like, yo, I want to smoke with everybody who says something dumb. Well, no, it's just, I mean, I mean, look, the idea that this Alabama team is the is the greatest team of all time. Well, look, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, the point differential in their in terms of their wins is amongst the best. The offensive production that we've seen this year is amongst the best. They had two, they had three players in the top five for the Heisman Trophy. So I don't want to like just completely like because there is like this like attitude, especially like. And we're not older, but like we've seen college football for a while now. There's like this always this attitude to just dismiss whoever's out now and say, "No way were they better than what we watched 20 years ago." I don't want to be that guy. Right. I don't want to be that guy, yeah. but I do want to give them. I would. I do want to give them their flowers. Like they, this was a dominant team. Clearly, they played the only team never play a full SEC schedule and go undefeated to win a national championship. So there, there's things here. You know, there, there are things here that they've accomplished. <laughs> um. There's, uh, it's tough. It's tough for me to. Is this Alabama team better than the one last year? That's the conversation we had. Yes. Tua was hurt. Team, this team was undefeated. Um, well, yeah, this team went undefeated. Obviously, Tua had his injury. Um, and then Mac Jones, when he was out there, was not as good as he was this season. Um, and that's the part of it where obviously this team has gotten better um, because of Mac Jones' development. But right. when Tua was healthy, which wasn't much last season because he was dealing with a, he's always he was always hurt. He, um, 
up until his hip injury. When two is healthy, like, I mean, from a weapon standpoint, they had Ruggs, Judy, to go along with Waddle and Devontae yeah. Smith and Najee Harris, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the defense uh, had more guys as well. Um, so that's my, that's my, that's, that's one part of it where I'm like, I don't know if this team is as good as they were last year, which isn't always like a recipe for this isn't the greatest team of all time, but because we've seen teams, teams lose guys every year. You know, you could always say, well, last year's team had this guy, you know, well, yeah, sure. But what I will say is that to me, it's, I, I don't have to look back to 20 years to find a team that's better than this Alabama team. Because, like you said, you start to debating style of play and rules and this and that, and it becomes yeah. it becomes it always becomes messy and becomes more subjective. But to me, I don't know how we can argue that this team is better than that LSU team was last year. We had an LSU team that had Joe Burrow, who had arguably the greatest season a college football quarterback has ever had. Now you could argue Mac Jones had similar production. <laughs> And we not not on a touchdowns level, but completion percentage um, was yeah, was set even. a record, yeah, yeah, well, best ever. Um, yeah, and no, it was better than Burroughs. Which when I saw yeah. Burrow seventy six, I was like, that's <laughs> that's nuts. And then yeah. Matt once comes in with seventy seven, and it's like, all right. But not only did they have Joe Burrow, who did everything that he did, and was the most prolific and proficient passer in the history of college football. Uh, from a single season standpoint, but then you had Clyde Edwards-Helaire coming out of the backfield, who this season for the Kansas City Chiefs has been uh, one of the certainly one of the ten best running backs in the NFL, maybe one of the five best. Um, you had Justin Jefferson, uh, who's an All-Pro receiver as a rookie this season with the Minnesota Vikings, first-round pick. You had Jamar Chase, who was the Bolitnikoff winner last year, wasn't Justin Jefferson, who's the All-Pro this season. It was Jamar Chase, who decided to opt out this season, um, who was also there last year. Uh, you had Thaddeus Moss, who obviously had son Randy Moss, who had plenty of uh, great moments last season. Um, made it on an NFL roster uh, at one point this season. Um, that's on the offensive side of the ball. On the defense, you had Patrick Queen, who's had moments playing for the Baltimore Ravens this season for sure. the first round pick. Uh, yeah, Kalewan Chason, another first-round pick from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you had Derek Stingley, who had the, arguably the greatest freshman season, a defensive back from for a defensive from a cornerback that we've seen in the modern college football era. Um, he's a first-team All-American as a cornerback, <laughs> as a freshman. Uh, and then you had Grant Delpit, another second-round pick, safety. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I mean... Just the overall talent. And this was the same LSU team that destroyed that Alabama team that had Tua. He was hurt. He was hobbled. And you already destroyed maybe, you know, an overstatement. But they they won comfortably against that Alabama team. So I don't know. I don't know where the argument is that this this Alabama team is the greatest of all time. Offensively, they are in the conversation for is this the the greatest offense we've seen in college football history. It's in the conversation. Um... And I'd also mention that, like, Joe Brady uh, was their offense coordinator last year, passing game coordinator. And he 
obviously now is on, in track to be a head coach. Maybe that means nothing. It's not like the Panthers were the best offense in the league last year. But he's on track to be a head coach now because of the work, the work he did not only at LSU, but what he did this year with the Panthers. To You know, I just, I don't know. It's tough for me to it's tough for me to make that case. It, it, are we talking are we talking are they the best Nick Saban Alabama team? That's another conversation that I'm willing to have. The offense was so elite. Devontae Smith, um, I would say is the best receiver in the Nick Saban era. You know, Julio Jones was great. Amari Cooper yeah, was great. I know, but great. just nobody this guy gets open every single play. Yeah, every, every play. Every single play. He's wide open. Nobody gets an NFL corner. I mean, Sean Wade is an NFL level corner. I mean, I mean he may not be Revis. He, <laughs> you know, he's like yeah, he, Ramsey. He, he didn't look hit, but <laughs> but you know, from a from a from a uh, you know pedigree standpoint, yeah, you're an NFL caliber corner, and he embarrassed him. Yeah, and, um, and, yeah, and the coach was afraid to play man to man because they knew what Smith would do to him. Yeah, um, and then you have Najee Harris, who. Look, he never put up the numbers because of how prolific their passing attack is. But I would, I could make an argument from a talent perspective. He's the most talented running back Saban's ever had. Oh, Najee and Harris is incredible. He's incredible. I mean, yeah. Derrick Henry is a workhorse unlike anything we've ever seen uh, since, like, Earl Campbell. You know, like, I mean, in the last, like, 20, 30 years. Um, but just from, like, a football talent perspective, I mean, Najee Harris – is 6'2", 230, and has got ball skills like a receiver, can make, can make, yeah, has so vision. shifty, yeah. Just super shifty, can run by you. I mean, he's Le'Veon Bell 2.0. Yeah. And, and so, Stud. that's, that's what made this team so dangerous, man. And I mentioned it last week, but it's, you know, this offense is just unstoppable. Like, I mentioned it when I said, you know, it, it may not matter. Similar to that Ole Miss game, that they had this season. No matter what Ohio State did offensively, it may not matter if Alabama scores on every possession. That's pretty much what happened, and that put the game away. Ohio State didn't get like their first stop till the second half, and by that point, the game was already over. Yeah, I mean, look, this this I I don't think this is the greatest team ever, but I do think that it's among the greats in terms of the greatest teams, purely because just the offensive production is just insane. Um. You got a trio of Smith, Mac Jones, and uh, and and Harris. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that you're now you're already automatically in the conversation with how they played this year. So I wasn't offended by the talk because they did something no one's ever done: go undefeated in a full SEC schedule. And not only did they go undefeated, they were only challenged in one game. It was the championship game against Florida. Every other game, they won handedly. Most of those games were over by the first quarter. Like that's that's like uh, they were almost. I almost couldn't even watch Alabama. That's how dominant they were. It just wasn't fun or fair. It was just like, why am I watching this? That's how great they were. So I, I again, I want to give them their flowers. They were that impressive. All I will say though is is what I what I tweeted. Like as great as Ohio State had as a season, they're a really good team, and they looked like they had no chance against that Alabama team. Miami, 2001, their defense had at least four guys better than anybody on Ohio State's defense. I mean, you're talking about Hall of Fame-type guys on their defense. Ed Reed, Vince Wilfork, Jonathan Vilma, Sean Taylor. I mean, come on. This is, that's, a different, that's a different animal. That's a West 1 defense. 
And I'm and like I'm not even naming the guys that weren't NFL stars. There are other guys that were NFL first round picks on that defense that weren't the guys I just named. Right. And we're not even talking about the offensive side of the ball. We had Clinton Portis in the backfield. His backup was Willis McGahee. His backup was Frank Gore. Starting wide receiver was uh, was was uh, Andre Johnson. The tight end was Jeremy Shockey. I mean, it, it, there's levels to this, and 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 it's not to say that this Alabama team isn't fantastic. They are a great team, but I think to me to match like far as like the numbers will suggest maybe they are because of how they blew everybody out and things like that. But like to me, your numbers got to match your like actual individual talent. And while they they have amazing individual talent, I know we their defense I think was not like the greatest. They were a very good defense. I don't want to disrespect them, but I mean Christian Barmore, which is a monster in that national championship game, he was great all year. Will Anderson, guy's only uh, what is he a freshman? I mean he, he's yeah, this guy's gonna be a stud. You know, like, he's crazy. He's that's the kind of guy. Certain. Yeah, we know what Certain is. On the excellent job on Olave. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't even throw to him, Certain. Uh, so it, you know they they got they, they're they're loaded on that end too. But, but it's I, not a normal Nick Saban defense, you know. No, like, no, because we didn't. That's not the kind of that wasn't the kind of production they had. I mean, Ohio State was able to move the ball against them for a good portion of that game. It wasn't until the defense is like really the wheels were really coming off that like they yeah. they couldn't keep up, you know. Yeah, so, like your offense your offense loses confidence. Um, when yeah, the when they realize that they're gonna score every possession to even have a chance to win the game. Yeah, it was demoralizing because like Ohio State was scoring so easily, like. Ohio State was able, I mean uh, Alabama was scoring so easily. Like Ohio yeah. State had to they had to, they had to work every drive yeah. to get points. Yeah. Uh, and it was a struggle, but they would get those points in like any normal football game. Like Alabama, it was like three plays and they were already in the red zone. You know, because Devontae Smith broke it for twenty yards and Najee broke it for another fifteen and then Waddle broke it for eighteen. <laughs> it's like, oh well tough tough luck. I mean, it's I mean the offense in. It was it's nuts. Um I would agree with you though. I think that I think that LSU last year was a slightly better, and I also feel that uh, I would still put uh, USC 04, I guess. Yeah. Or honestly, they didn't win the national championship, but I still think you know five. They probably could have been. I know. They probably still lost. Won yeah. Uh, but I'll put them. I'll put 04, and I'll do oh, I'll do 2001 Miami. It's at least those three teams I still put ahead of them. You know, we could have a conversation about a bunch of other teams. But I, I just the raw star power on those teams, I think is just a little bit more than Alabama. And those teams were almost as dominant, if not more. But this is a great team, one of the greatest teams. What do you think of Devontae seen. Smith? The guy's a stud. I mean, In the, you know, the question is, you know, the question becomes that with the Jets, like at two, is he worth a number two pick as a wide receiver? Because, like the, I mean, the last time we had a college football receiver this good, it was Larry Fitzgerald. And or <laughs> yeah. Calvin and yeah, yeah, I was agree with that. And both of them, I believe, went number two, right? Or was so. Fitzgerald three? Fitzgerald went in three, yeah, and yeah, in the in the Eli draft. I don't even remember who was two in that draft. Um, <laughs> but regardless, not good, for, not good for that guy. Yeah, no. Um, but uh, Calvin Johnson was two. He lived up to it. Fitzgerald was two. Was three. He lived up to it. Mm-hmm. So from that from that standpoint. Like yeah, I mean why not? Um, I guess the, the that kind of prospect. Those guys bigger, Calvin Johnson. You already bigger and faster. Well, um, here's the problem though. Both guys is they went two and three, <clears throat> but you could argue 
that because they went two and three, they never won anything. That's the whole <laughs> issue with picking a wide receiver that early. Is right. great. Now you got a great wide receiver who, if you can get the ball to him, if you can block for your quarterback, if you can put together a defense, is a great weapon. But if you can't do any of that other stuff, I mean, he may still put up pretty good numbers, but how good could you really be? And how many years did we see Megatron and Larry Fitzgerald's prime year just get wasted on just garbage teams? That's the issue that got lied with drafting a quarter, uh, a wide receiver that high. To me, if you don't, you're not certain you have the answer at quarterback and the rest of your team, you don't have clear a clear plan, at least, on how to like figure out the rest of your roster. With anybody drafting that high has multiple issues along the whole roster. The other that, thing if you don't, if you're not able to do that, then you go, then I don't know if it's worth it, no matter how good he is. The, the other, other thing that the other thing, real quickly, I want to say about that comparison is, and I know the game has changed, but Fitzgerald and Megatron were big, physical, tall, and strong receivers. Not to say that Devontae can't be the best receiver in the NFL, being his size, but we don't typically see like the guy that's built like him drafted that high the, the, yeah, the idea is that you can find that the idea is that you could find other guys with similar athletic profiles yeah, physical he clearly has something else that's special about him obviously so i'm not going to say he, you could just find another Devontae smith but that's something to think about too is are we really going to take him at two when i could trade down and get jamar chase who who is was more better, like- who was better than him last season and was so good he could take a year off like Physically is more in the profile. And, and physically more is in more that profile of those receivers that normally go that high. That's a good question. And that's, that's and, a question that Jets will have to answer. the other elephant in the room is that wh- why did those guys go number two? And we haven't had another receiver like that go that high. Like, what and, was, and then the question will also be, has there ever been a justification for any receiver we've seen that should have been number two? Well, and that, and well... But what what was so special about those guys? What was so unique about those guys' situations in college that we didn't see with Devontae Smith? Those they played guys, on terrible teams. They played college. on terrible teams and right. were still dominant. so dominant. Yeah. Regardless of the players around them. Facts. And it's not to say that Devontae Smith wouldn't be a dominant player at a smaller school, but would he, would he be the Heisman Trophy winner? Absolutely not. He just nope. wouldn't. Be. No way. If, if you played Ole Miss. He would have been the Heisman Trophy winner. He still may have been the first round pick. I can almost assure you he would have been. Um, but like that is like Larry Fitzgerald played on a played at Pitt. You don't need to know who else was on the roster to know that he played on a scrub team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> same same with Calvin. He played at Georgia Tech. You don't need to know anybody else on the roster to know that he played on a scrub team. And both of those teams were confident because of those guys. Larry Fitzgerald's team was great because of Larry Fitzgerald. Like. That's the question about Devontae Smith. How much better does he make your team? Like, those guys had value. And like you said, they may not have even lived up to that winning value, quote-unquote. They were as players, but maybe not in terms of actually allotting wins. What kind of value does Devontae Smith present to an NFL team? We don't know because he went to an and Alabama. There was so much, and there was so much and, of those guys' success. And there was so much, last thing on this, there was so much on, on those guys' success that was not predicated on scheming them wide open. And it's not to, again, I I, I don't want to make it sound like we're hammering Devontae. I, I think he should go top 10. He's an incredible receiver. Mac Jones and Najee Harris just as good. But then you could argue, like, like does Najee Harris particularly make 
Devontae Smith better because of the attention that he needs to get or that he need, that he And it's also the way Sark moves moved around Devontae Smith to get him open. I mean, Sark with, didn't with, have... with, with, with with Calvin Johnson and with Larry Joe, albeit it's a different time in offensive football, it was just you're going to line up with the X and they can't cover you and just run your route. It was no, we're going to put you in motion, we're going to put you in the backfield, we're going to do all like we're going to do all this weird stuff. Like that wasn't happening back then. So it's going to take a savvy offensive coordinator to be able to. Can you even replicate that? Can you even replicate that on the NFL level? Like these are real questions. I mean, Eric Bieniemy would be like, uh, yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I'll take him. <laughs> I'll find a way. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's you know that's the thing is 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 the athletic profile now, is to, the talent so special credit, that you can do that in the NFL? Like, Waddle, because you know you can make the case. Like, oh, I mean, look, he was on the team last year, and while yes, he was very productive. Like we all looked at Judy and Rugs, but to give him credit. Rugs and Judy gone. Waddle gets hurt in like week three, and his production only goes up from there. Like teams still couldn't stop him, even though he was the only guy on the offense from the receiver spot that you would that you cared about. So that is that's the part of Devontae Smith where he does kind of look like Larry Fitzgerald and why he won the Heisman Trophy. Like when I watch him play against LSU and he gets four touchdowns, when I watch him play against Notre Dame and he gets three in the first half, I mean, when you know he that's the, that's the only guy you have to stop. <laughs> that's you know on in, 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 in the passing game, then I don't know. But look, if somebody like if I was any defense playing that Alabama team, to me I still think the primary concern is you can't let Najee Harris run wild because if you do, then you have no chance of winning. Like you have to force Mac Jones to beat you, and he he beat teams all year, and he beat them through Devontae Smith. So that's just going to be the question. With Devontae Smith's draft stock, but it's it's a fascinating one. I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait for April when we have those Jamar Chase. Uh, I can't wait till the combine, assuming that happens. Um, so for when we can't, so we can have those Jamar Chase uh, Devontae Smith debates because it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be electric. We're well over time here, Kendall, over two hours, but let's quickly do Kendall's court. What do you got? Yeah, man, uh, Kendall's court. It's been an interesting coaching carousel. You know, you talked about, we talked about the Urban Meyer and Robert Sala situation with the Jets and Jaguars. Um, I have two recommendations for NFL front front offices, NFL organizations, NFL franchises for their head coaches. Um, If you're still without a head coach, which there's still plenty of uh, franchises out there that are without a head coach, um, first of all, if you're, out of, if you're without a DM, to me, I'm, I'm getting on the phone with Lewis Riddick as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, 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 uh, for another Kendall's court. Um, but to me, it's still baffling that Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a job. And as we go forward, it kind of appears he may not get a head coaching job this season. We don't know. You know, things can change, uh, at the, at the flip, at the flick of a wrist, but, it seems like, you know, there is still some talk about all right, but how well is he doing the interviews. I've seen interviews with Eric Bieniemy, and he looks super impressive uh, in those interviews. Um, you know, there's questions, you know, about... Um, overall, there, there's there's questions about... I've seen questions about the Andy Reid coaching tree. Like, oh, well, I mean... Which I don't understand, considering Bill Belichick's coaching tree... Well, yeah, that's that the conversation. Like, Bill Belichick's coaching, those guys still get jobs. Gerard Mayo, 
just got interviewed with the Eagles. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, so what did that have to do with the Bill Belichick coaching tree again? You know, like yeah. those guys have almost all stunk and they, they still get jobs. And the enemy, you know, can't even get, you know, can't get a job. I don't know. Um, so that's, 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 that's the other part of it that, that doesn't make any sense. And I, you know, I've, I've heard that all oh, because the Chiefs are moving on in the playoffs, it makes them harder to hire because they're winning too many games. And I just, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, what, what, <laughs> this isn't college football. Like, I don't need my coach in December to start recruiting, like, players. I don't even need him to start scouting. I mean, yeah, sure, that'd be nice, but hire a GM. That's that's for, that's on the GM. That's on the player personnel guy. That's on the the scouts in the scouting department. That's not on the head coach. So at that point, why do I care if Eric Bieniemy if I don't have a coach in February, if they win the Super Bowl? It's irrelevant. If that's the guy I want, if I've identified him, if I told him you're the guy I want, we're gonna wait until we can hire you, then that's what you do. You don't use that as an excuse to not hire the guy. So I, I'm shocked that he doesn't have a job. Um, one guy that seems like he will have a job, uh, and I think he deserves it 100%, is Joe Brady, um, offensive coordinator at LSU last year, uh, passing game coordinator, I should say, uh, offensive coordinator this year with the Carolina Panthers. If you've followed the way the league has talked about Joe Brady this season, um, you'll know that Teams and defensive coaches are very, very in, impressed with the job he did in, in Carolina. Um, there were times Teddy Bridgewater was a little up and down, for the most part, without without Christian McCaffrey for most of the season. The offense was still fairly, fairly high-powered. Um, and we obviously know what he did at LSU last year. Uh, to me... There are questions about, you know, his youth, but I'm willing to take that chance. Certain guys are just savants at things that they do. And the the rise that Joe Brady has had seems like somebody that probably is better than most people at that job. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. even though he's young, you don't go to LSU and be a passing coordinator after with his quote unquote resume, I've seen people have that conversation. Like some, like some people, I've seen people say, "Well, look at his resume. What has he done?" You know, and people say, "He wasn't even the offensive coordinator at LSU." And it's like, "Well, yes, but like they lost Joe Brady. Look at the LSU offense this season. You know, like the LSU offense this season was abysmal. <laughs> it was because if Steve Ensminger was the offensive coordinator, he was still there. <laughs> so." Uh, to me, I don't know. You know, if you're if you're if if you're an NFL team and you need a head coach, uh, you call Eric Bieniemy and you call Joe Brady. Um, especially if you're targeting offensive coaches, those to me seem to be the the guy that I'm looking at. Um, the Chargers, uh, the Eagles, are two teams that I would imagine be good fits for uh, Brady. Um, I feel like the Chargers and, and Falcons seem like good fits for uh, the enemy, but that's just me. You and Texans, noted. well, but yeah. we know the Texans. You know, I'm about to say you didn't mention the Texans, but uh, they yeah. they've had some issues of their own. I I <laughs> might not be the most stable situation no right now. Yeah, yeah, no comment. <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. I want to thank all our listeners for checking us out. 
Um, of course, you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network. That includes Sports Talk, Hero Talk, and the Imperial Broadcast, our Star Wars podcast. So make sure you guys uh, make sure you subscribe and, and check us out on there. Also, make sure you check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. Um, new content up there today. We got a, a, a reaction to some uh, some some comic book news, superhero news regarding Chris Evans. So if you're into that stuff, be on top of that. Also, be on top of that for our WandaVision reviews that we'll be uh, doing in the next coming uh, days and weeks as the show gets released on Disney Plus. Uh, you probably listen; it's out by the time you listen to this podcast. So, um, so we'll be doing reviews on the YouTube channel. So make sure you check us out there, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media, Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. Follow uh, me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Instagram, Action EJ. Kendall can be found on, on Twitter, at New Gen Ken. Thank you guys once again for checking us out. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.